0: Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals.
1: And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and I also own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count, and I'm not about to go into a Christmas carol, Dan.
0: Mark, I thought we cleared up all that business about the annuals, and you agreed to allow me to say that they counted. What happened?
1: Well, it was a holiday miracle, and the magic of the season has faded, and I'm feeling less charitable, Dan. Wow, I I always become the grouch here, don't I?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us for a special review roundup episode of the all new amazing spider talk we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the spider-man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture
1: today we are going to be rounding up a series of reviews of amazing spider-man that originally premiered for our patreon supporters back when these issues were first published that's right We're going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, issues number 29 through 31. These three issues saw Peter preparing to propose to Mary Jane and had him also facing off against absolute carnage. Plus, when we finish those discussions, Dan and I will be recapping an episode where we did nothing but speculate about Kindred's identity. Hallelujah. Including a clue that we think has the answer to it all. (laughs) Be sure to hang around until the end. You don't want to miss it.
0: No, you don't. I don't know. I feel pretty confident about that clue that was discovered and reported by us on the show. Yeah, you don't want to miss it. Hang around until the end. But also, be sure to remember this: this episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful patrons on Patreon, whose patronage, boy, how many times can I say that word, allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy listening to our little show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content... Like the very reviews you're about to listen to when they were originally released to our Patreon subscribers and additional episodes that we never released publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our little team.
1: Now let's get to the action. We hope you enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 29.
0: What's new? Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man 29. I can't wait to talk about this because I tweeted a very positive reaction to this and you gave me kind of a snarky answer, which was funny and I agree with, but I really don't know where you stand on this issue and the beats and ins and outs of it. I think this one's going to be an interesting one to talk about because, um, let's just get straight to it, Mark. The reason I enjoyed this particular issue, Amazing Spider-Man number 29, Legacy 830, is whoa, write this one in the books. It's about Peter Parker and Spider-Man for once.
1: Yeah, and and I appreciate that and I think that was great and I did enjoy that. It's just like, you know, part of the the premise of my snark to you was kind of along the lines of well shouldn't all these comics be about Peter Parker and Spider-Man like why why are we celebrating them doing like I don't want to say the bare minimum but like they're doing something right in light of doing something I don't want to say wrong but something that was was not as much for us in terms of what we're looking for in these comics so it's like Okay, well, they're doing they're doing something good in focusing on Peter here. Now, let's get down to brass tacks. Is this is this the kind of focus on Peter we want to be seeing? I think that's I think the more interesting question here.
0: And I would say yes. I mean, I think this book really kind of gets into Peter's headspace, which has been, you know, kind of similar throughout. I don't think there's any like major changes here for Peter or tough decisions that he has to make. It's a pretty kind of standard operating plot right you know it's the he's got to go out of spider-man but is he going to make it on time kind of thing but it's done really well and i think like not only is peter well written and are we inside of his head in an interesting way which i really want to talk about but also i felt like his supporting cast was incredibly well written and utilized in the ways that we like best. You know, we've got supportive MJ, and we even got, like, speechifying Aunt May. I mean, how long has it been since we've seen those tropes?
1: And I agree 100% with you on that in terms of certainly the supporting cast. But, I mean, you know, let's let's start with, like, that beginning. I mean, you just kind of referenced it, too, in terms of this idea of the storyline of this, of this comic is something we've seen before. Like you said, this idea of, well, Peter, you know, Peter has family or social obligations, and then Spider-Man stuff gets in the way. And the comic even pretty much, I don't say pokes fun, but, like, references that heavily and, like, you know, is talking about patterns and history repeating itself and the cyclical nature of Spider-Man's life, which is all well and good, and it's true, but, like, at the same token, like, I guess for me, like, I found it a little problematic that we're, like, more or less kind of just admitting, yeah... Here's another Spider-Man story that you've seen before. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, what's what's the wrinkle here? I guess, you know, the wrinkle is Nick Spencer's writing, but is that enough of a wrinkle?
0: I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think the final page of this is meant to be kind of the big wrinkle, right? You know, we'll get to talk about that in a second. There's something about this issue. The, the the one issue that this reminds me the most of is 698, the Dying Wish issue, where you're seeing a story you've seen a million times before until the last page where that story is completely upended in some way. And I don't think that it pulls off quite the shocker of that issue. I mean, like, I don't think many books could. I mean, that's probably the all-time biggest shock in a Spider-Man comic. It, it, would, would you? Would, is that a safe claim?
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that.
0: That's a big, like, apple cart to turn over. But I do think that the end of this book, you know, for Spider-Man fans and people in the know about, like, editorial and how all those things work. So basically, you and I, Mark, and our loyal listeners, like, that final page, at least for me, was a real, like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Where are we going with this? And, you know, this kind of commentary from Peter about the cyclical nature of Spider-Man's life, I mean... Yeah, we're playing out a cycle here, but it's a cycle that like all of us never thought we'd see kind of come back around, even if it seemed inevitable.
1: It's a cycle that frankly, from a storytelling perspective, it works, you know, like this is, this is classic Spider-Man here. And it's, and we we say classic Spider-Man, not just because we've seen it before and they do this a lot, but it's classic because it's good, you know, (laughs) like, like we like it, you know, like these are the stories, these are the conflicts that have kept us coming back to Spider-Man year after year after year.
0: And, and and there's something really interesting going on here where like Peter comments later on this kind of cyclical thing where he says, I need to figure out how to break the cycle and make things different this time. You know what, Mark? Let's just get to the final page because it does color everything that happens in this issue, which is that Peter has decided to, I guess, re-propose to MJ because he has already proposed to her in the new timeline of the one more post one more day. They just didn't go through with the marriage. He's reproposing to her. This would be the third time that he would do this, which, you know, just establishes, you know, like it is a cycle and this is Peter's way of breaking the cycle, but he's also kind of unaware of his own history. And and that's what makes me so curious about this is this is one of those weird instances where the audience knows more than, than Peter does. And he may think he's breaking the cycle, but we know he's just playing into it.
1: It was definitely a surprise to see that final image and him with the ring and you know there's a part of me you know I don't I don't need to necessarily repeat this for the 900th time on this show but I will anyway I'm not necessarily like I don't want to say pro marriage anti marriage it's not it's not that but it's like I'm not one of those people that feels Peter and MJ and the marriage need to be essential to the storytelling of these characters so I mean and I think you're more or less in the same boat as me, right? I mean, we've, 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 we've talked, we've gone over this many times.
0: Yeah, and I want to make clear that that doesn't mean we're anti-Peter-MJ romance. Like, to me, I think that's like kind of an essence of Spider-Man is a well-written romance between Peter and MJ in some form. At least it was during my childhood, you know, like it, it was essential to the comic when I read
1: it it's just the idea that they have to be married and thus by by not them not being married there is something missing from spider-man i don't necessarily agree with that i feel like if there are still good stories there's still good stories whether peter has a ring on his finger or not and i and i I say all that as a way to be like actually seeing that last image you know even with that as context i was kind of like oh that's that's nice. Not nice, for lack of a better word. It's like, I, I I liked seeing that. Like, it's like, okay. But then I kind of paused a moment and thought about recent Marvel history and and everything that happened. And then I kind of got irritated by it because I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, I, I get from a storytelling purpose why they're doing it. But, like, what's the long game here? Where are we going with this? Because I could be completely wrong here, Dan. But, like, I just don't see any conceivable way that... Marvel will ever marry these two characters off again. So then why are we even playing with this idea when we know it's such a volatile uh, situation for many fans?
0: It is the third, I think we've said this before, it's the third rail of Spider-Man comics. You know, like whatever direction you go with it. Because if you're doing what you're doing here and teasing that they might get married again, but then you don't do it, you're going to piss off a huge number of fans who that is like... The one thing they turn out for. I mean, all I have to do is show people our Gmail account to to, to demonstrate how heated of a, of a feelings people have about this marriage, you know, but then if you go through it, it, you know, it could also be kind of a hollow gesture, you know, right to kind of appease those people. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how much faith I have in Nick Spencer and editorial at any given time. Like at the end of the day, even though I hadn't loved his Spider-Man run so far, I do think Nick Spencer is a smart, thoughtful guy that wouldn't drudge this up if he didn't have a good plan to address it. And I think there are already signs to indicate that there is something interesting going on here beyond either one of those kind of like cynical options. And, And in that regard, I'm talking about Kindred. Which I think this kind of really puts my kindred theory about it being like a personification of the wedding or the wedding vow in some way. Like, I, I'm more sure of it than ever.
1: I'm leaning towards agreeing wholeheartedly with you with that. I mean, I guess, you know, for me too, just to kind of go back to the whole point of like, well, w- what's the end game with this? It's, you know, like go back to that, that interview we did with, with Nick following – his start on this book and, you know, I, it was at Terrificon last summer. And I kind of joke, jokingly said to him, you know, what did you have to do to Joe Quesada to let him get, you know, allow you to have MJ and Peter back together. And he was kind of, you know, if memory serves, his answer was to the tune of, well, no one said that they couldn't be together. It was just that they couldn't be married. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's, it's kind of like this common acceptance that like, okay, fine. Like we'll let them, you know, there's a belief that we can let them get so far. If you're gonna just pull the rug out, okay, but then it better be something good. We'll see where this kindred story goes. But like, you know, I'm kind of thinking back to the whole build-up for Hunted and how this was gonna be like this ultimate Craven Spider-Man story. And you know, we we gave our thoughts on Hunted, and it didn't end up. So, I mean. Let's see, like, what does does Nick Spencer and the Spider-Man editorial team have a a bigger trick up their sleeves than they did the last time they kind of promised something big?
0: Going back to that interview with um, Nick Spencer again, also, you know, like he kind of suggested about the MJ thing that he needed some big thing to make issue one kind of splashier, right? Like what was the big thing that was going to hook people in? And he kind of admitted to us last minute that he kind of threw MJ in right? But at this point, it seems like the MJ relationship and kindred and all the stuff seems to be at a real heart of what Nick Spencer is doing on this book is like going back to one more day and finding a way to address it in in some regard. And I'm going to remain eternally optimistic and faithful because I think that's how you and I continue to show. It is a very sensitive topic and you know i I do appreciate that he seems to be like taking his time on it like i'm I'm a little frustrated with the way kindred is kind of rolling out, but I like that the Peter M. J relationship has kind of over the past year and and change simmered in, in this in this realm. and I don't know maybe, maybe that's a good segue point to talk about the Aunt May scene. In this book,
1: I mean, even the Peter MJ stuff prior to the to the ring in his hand. I mean, like you know, this this was this was quality stuff. I mean, frankly, this was the stuff I was kind of hoping for from the get go when they got back together. Which was this idea of like, you know, they're not just sitting in the corner making out this whole comic. I mean, you know, they're, yes, they're revisiting old themes about Peter's reliability and 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 MJ's ability to kind of roll with it or not roll with it. But like like MJ is 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 going out to a gig and is it Los Angeles, Dan? Is she going out to, to hang out with you now?
0: Yes. I, I, I hope to see her soon.
1: What we're getting here are two very, it's a supportive couple. And I like that they're supportive, but then like when Peter is kind of on his own or with Aunt May, he's also acknowledging, yeah, I support her, but I miss her and I want to be there. You know, like it, like that to me, that rung very true. Like that idea of like, I mean, you know, we're both with people that we love very dearly and we want the very best for them. But like there's, I think all relationships, there's an element of selfishness there. And it was nice to see kind of Peter's selfishness there that it wasn't, it wasn't too over the top, like, Oh, I support you. I support you. I support you. I don't have needs or, or, you know, feelings or anything like that, you know?
0: (laughs) And I I do think it's interesting that this, this kind of support comes directly in the face of the reason that they didn't get married as per, you know, one moment in time, which is that, you know, Mary Jane, couldn't support Peter going out and being Spider-Man all the time because she found it so, I guess, like damaging in some way and and harmful to her psyche in in some way. And so, you know, here we've got the lookups and we've got Carly showing up and the whole thing is about MJ kind of absolving Peter of his own guilt and kind of saying, I'm going to do my own thing and be supportive my own way. And it's like, you know, as we've got the context of this ring and we're barreling towards dealing with one more day, well, this is just another way to do that because she's seemingly fixed, or whatever you want to use the word fixed, the thing about her feelings in the relationship that made it difficult to continue in the first place, or at least as that justification. And I think a lot of people have problems with that justification. Like, they never thought of MJ as the kind of unsupportive type that was used to justify the undoing of the marriage. But I I, I was just, all I'm saying is like, there's another thing kind of fixed as we move toward dealing with one more day.
1: And then obviously, as you were alluding to before, from, from here, we had Peter with Aunt May and this was another like really kind of, we haven't had one of these little Peter May one-on-ones in a while. And, you know, we got some more background on May about her relationship with Ben. And, you know, I guess we had a reference to the, what, the Jimmy Jerome (laughs) storyline from, from a spectacular annual number four, a favorite story of ours. Um, But, but it was, it was, again, it was good to kind of have that, that, Aunt May with some agency and like just like her own insights and relating, and you know, it felt it felt very much like Parker's have gumption, right?
0: You know, and, and and it continues the kind of A plot in this story, which is the kind of commenting on the cyclical nature of things. And Aunt May seems to be saying that, like, no matter what, Peter and MJ will get back together. And you you can practically hear the writer and editors of the Spider-Man book suggesting this, uh, like, you know, there is going to be no one else for Mar- for Peter other than Mary Jane, because who's going to write someone as compelling and with as much history, you know, for the character to be with everyone else is going to seem like a, a pale shadow. So you hear that nerds out there that are ready to complain about, you know, Peter and MJ being apart. They're always going to end up back together. You know, it's like if a new girl showed up in the Archie books and he ended up with her instead of Betty and Veronica. Everyone will be pissed. You know, like MJ is going to be the Spider-Man girlfriend eventually again all the time. And Aunt May here is is uh, suggesting it and also kind of pushing Peter to in- propose to her just as she did before, right? The first time Peter proposed to Mary Jane. Of course, this time he's a bit older and has more history with her. Won't someone acknowledge their baby they had together? Come on now. Let's talk about how they once had a baby.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. That that, that doesn't happen unless it's one of those like, you know, separate timeline storylines.
0: Has the baby officially fallen into the realm of since past where it just never happened?
1: I feel like it has. I mean, like it's. Except unlike Sin's past, like, you know, when you read something like Life Story or Spider Girl or whatever, it feels like those creators don't, you know, they go out of their way to acknowledge it. But yeah, in terms of this 616 universe, it just gets ignored completely.
0: Uh, Those are like the two big things that are kind of like seemingly erased until someone decides to do something with them somewhere in the future.
1: This comic also has an appearance from... I know she's one of your favorite characters, Dan. Uh, Teresa Parker, the the sister of Peter? Like, are, am I, are we really accepting this, that she's the sister of Peter? Because I, I just can't.
0: I can't either. I, I refuse to accept it. It's like the same thing as the totemic powers from the Straczynski run, where, like, he left it open-ended, and that was the kind of, like, perfect, you know, way of not addressing whether it's real or not. And allowing you to accept both things at the same time, which is great because then other writers don't have to like necessarily use it or not. And the same was done with Teresa Parker at the end of Family Business. Dan Slott made the inheritors a thing, which I think diminishes the stuff done in Straczynski's run. Not inherently by just using them, but I think the, the quality of how they were used but, like, the Teresa Parker thing from the Chip Zdarsky run and her finding out that she's actually Peter's sister, although you could easily write it off because you never see the paper that she's holding and it's in an alternate timeline. So you could easily write it off. But I got to tell you, I, I, yeah, you, you weren't joking. I think the Teresa Parker canonization is probably my least favorite addition to the Spider-Man myth from the past decade or so
1: at the end of the day it doesn't really add anything and you know her showing up like she does here it's just to set a certain conflict into motion and I guess you know Peter has a certain obligation to to follow her but I mean let's be honest here like how would how would her showing up in this circumstance outside of the fact that she's not a costume hero be any different than if it was Captain America or Iron Man you know what I mean like it's just you know like if Peter is is Faced with a situation where his help is requested, his help is required. Uh, there are innocent lives at stake. He's gonna go right. Like so, what difference does it make if it's his sister, the spot, the shield, super spy, or you know, Captain Marvel?
0: Yeah. Well, I would also add to the fact that, like, what didn't Teresa Parker turn herself in at, to the police at the end of Spectacular and was like put in jail? Are we just yada yada ing the end of her character arc in that story just like a year or so ago?
1: We didn't yada yada over the best part, Dan. We mentioned (laughs)
0: this, okay? (laughs) Well, let's talk about this side mission, the the very clear B story that, like, you know, Peter even acknowledges as a sort of a B story. He's like, every time I go to do something, I get interrupted by one of these things. Like, it's again, it's a part of the cyclical nature. Like, of course, he's got to. Secret sister that's going to show up and stop him from saying goodbye to MJ at the airport, which is like Peter's go-to move is to leave a grand romantic gesture for MJ at the airport.
1: We've had many incidents of that, you know. We we, we just got to get Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew back. Like, well, obviously not Ross. <laughs> that
0: back. would be a feat, um, but
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, that would be a feat for for Dan Slott to to, to do. Um, no, but yeah, it's it's it's. I, I do like that you acknowledge that the air airports Peter and MJ. It's it's a common thing, although at least you know MJ wasn't like. Killed on a plane with a guy sucking a lollipop this time, right?
0: Another story that I guess – well, no, it was just referenced in issue 25. So I guess it comes back every now and again.
1: So this side mission, you know, uh, Teresa's got a, a S.H.I.E.L.D. compatriot that has been captured by the chameleon. So we have another appearance by the chameleon here. His, his first since Hunted, correct?
0: Yeah, although I don't really know how this continues his quest to avenge his brother's death, right? That was such a clear point made at the end of Hunted that the chameleon was going to kick something off. And maybe he's just fundraising here. But like this the story is completely divorced from that. It's involving like selling shield tech to like aim for money, you know, and like, okay, fine. I guess my biggest problem with this is like, it's a fine B story, but it's super forgettable. And I feel like it could be something a little more interesting than, than what we got it. I don't know. Maybe there's a point to, you know, it kind of coming to nothing.
1: I mean, I didn't love the B story, but I did appreciate the fact that, you know, Peter sacrifices what he does and, you know, essentially loses, you know, like, like, you know, like there's even that scene of. Well, Spider-Man wins, right? But no, he didn't. So I it it, it kind of shows that it's 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 kind of <laughs> quite nihilistic when you think about it, this idea of like even when he's doing what he's morally supposed to do, it it doesn't necessarily pay dividends for him.
0: In in regards to the art, Francisco Mana, you know, I thought his art was really fun here. It's like Stuart Eminem and, and Ryan Otley kind of like somewhere in the between the two of those guys. But there's this page during this adventure where it's this kind of cross-cutting double-page spread where like, Peter is stopping Chameleon and MJ and Carly are talking about going to the airport and ultimately MJ's on the airplane. And Peter admits that he's not going to make it and they both know that he never was going to make it. And I love the cross-cutting of that page. I thought it was a really cleverly told bit of storytelling.
1: The art is definitely a step I want to say step in the right direction it's it's significantly better than some of the other non Otley, non humberto Ramos offerings we've been getting on this run. So, you know, in terms of high praise, I, I didn't see the imminent influences, but I, now that you mention it, I get what you're saying. But like there were a number of times where I had to keep going back. Wait, I was like, wait, is Otley doing this book? I'm like, okay, no, it's not Otley.
0: <laughs> there's there's a similarity to the like inking of like characters like MJ and, and Peter that reminded me of Eminem. Like there's a lot of like I don't think the detail level of of a Stuart Eminem but um, there's like a kind of like looseness with designs and stuff that, that I really liked. You know, I, shout out to some of the like featured villains that show up in that one page where you got like Otto Octavius and the Vulture and Electro and Hydro Man that, that show up. There's this weird thing with Hydro Man that makes him look like he has a mustache that I'm like kind of all for, even though he doesn't. I know it's probably not that, but like water mustache on Hydro Man, like sign me up.
1: Facial hair always improves a villain. You had mentioned before that we have some interaction between MJ and Carly Cooper. I don't know if we've said this on the show or if this has just been a conversation for Twitter and Slack and stuff, but you've had some suspicions in the past about Carly Cooper and her reappearing when she did, especially kind of coinciding with the appearances of of Kindred. Anything here that sparks those, those... speculations from you, Dan?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, also the thieves guild because she came from the city that they were formerly in. I don't know. The more time that goes by, the less I like, I'm suspicious of Carly. She seems like a genuine friend here, but at the same time, that's the kind of role that kindred is playing towards MJ, which is like keeping an eye on her. And like, I went back through this whole issue, just scouring it for centipedes, right? If there was an issue to have a centipede in it, to confirm my theory, it would be this one, and there's no centipedes in this issue, but there is Carly. So I don't know if that means anything or whatever, but you know, right now she's kind of just seems to be a supportive friend more than anything else. And and Kindred's already kind of playing a card in this issue with the MJ going to LA to work for Mysterio, uh, you know, against her knowledge. So like, if he was also Carly or was related to Carly in some way. Carly's not really laying it on thick in any regard. So, you know, she seems like a good friend. So I, my theories about Carly, I, I think I've been kind of silenced for now.
1: My spidey senses are not tingling with Carly right now, for sure. Anything else from this issue you wanted to pick apart at all?
0: Not particularly. I just think it, the final page is pretty exciting. There's the, you know, the kind of verbiage of it where he says, maybe some other day. There's we're we're headed towards confronting one more day. There's no way about it. I mean, Spencer is signaling this as much as possible. So I know that you're like wary about it, but like, color me intrigued. Like, I really am curious what he has had planned for this because I, like, if my theory is right, like, he's been working this angle since the beginning and. It is actually exciting to see if you know maybe we could move past this. I would love to move past this.
1: I'm wary in a sense that it's you know it's not like oh this is never going to happen blah blah blah. I mean it's it's okay if we're going to do this. Let's let's really make a count. Like I mean you know I know we don't talk about this series much on this show, but like you know going back to like Spider-Man Deadpool a couple of years ago, they started like you know, tap dancing against the one more day line. And it was just a bummer at the end. Like, like who who cared about, like, how they ultimately paid that off? You know, I'm not saying that Nick Spencer's is going to do that here. Certainly, I, I mean, I would hope not in the main book. But it's like, okay, like, if you're really going to go after this, you know, let's do something significant. You know, like, let's, let's not, like go through all this and then be back where we started, you know, in a cyclical way.
0: (laughs) In a way, like this issue to me was the most positive I felt about that because like, I know Nick Spencer is a thoughtful guy, even if I haven't loved all of his books. I think he's a very talented writer. And that's why I was so excited about getting him on this book, because I know that he's, you know, daring to do new things. And maybe he's, you know, hedging his bets a little much after the feedback he got to making – captain america an agent of hydra for even an issue you know like because that's all he really was until the second issue realized it was all a a farce you know here he's spending a year pl- and change building to this moment and maybe he feels more precious because it's spider-man i don't know what it is but like the i the addressing the cyclical nature of it suggests to me that he is keen on breaking us out of that in some way, because why point it out and then play right into it? But I don't know.
1: Well, why don't we get to some grades then?
0: Yeah, sure. I think this one's an A minus. I thought it was a f- fun issue, maybe not like a like a bombshell, but you know, the characters were really wonderfully presented.
1: I'm just not quite as as high as you on this, but like, I, you know, I'm, I'm prefacing all this by saying I really did enjoy it, but I'm going to give it a B because I feel like. I I just I need to see more like this is this is one of those things I might retroactively raise if the follow up pays it off in a big way. But like, I just need to see where this actually goes and and where, you know, where all these pieces ultimately fit. So I don't want to get my hopes up too much. But, you know, at the same time, more stories like this, please.
0: A hundred percent. Like take my A minus and it's a soft A minus, but take that as a signal of like, this is what Spider-Man comics really should be.
1: A good story for those of you out there who feel that we've been overly negative lately.
0: Yeah, and uh, Mark, you know what is always the best way to follow up a great story on Spider-Man?
1: I don't know. What? Tell me.
0: An event tie-in book.
1: Right, Absolute Carnage. But I like Absolute Carnage so far. So no, me, <laughs> me
0: too. And we get to see Otley do symbiotes, which is something that I've been saying on the show I've wanted for a long time. So I'm actually really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, so this isn't the worst possible Diversion we can get <laughs>
0: No, absolutely not Until we read it And then we'll determine Whether or not That is the case
1: It's not like it's like A fear itself tie-in Or something, right? No, 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 no
0: no. Don't, don't you dare Don't you
1: dare <laughs> Thanks again our, our, our faithful patrons For joining us On this episode I, I hope you all enjoyed Us talking about this comic We hope you enjoyed the comic
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely I mean, we did And that feels good In and of, of itself <laughs>
1: All right, bye guys. All right, have a good one. Bye. Dan, I I gotta say, that episode had one of the most shocking endings of Spider-Man book in recent memory. I'm so glad we were able to talk about it all thanks to our patrons, because without them, we would have never gotten that awesome review. But fear not listeners at home, we are going to quickly transition to our review of the absolute carnage tie-in, amazing Spider-Man, volume five, number thirty. Enjoy our review of
0: Amazing Spider-Man 30.
1: This was quite the issue. Lots of kooky narrative structure here that we're going to want to get into. Also, lots of things to speculate about. This was actually posited as an absolute carnage tie-in, which it does kind of. It's so much more than that, don't you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a real case of like, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Not that not, not that Absolute Carnage is a lemon. I've been enjoying it, you know, pretty, pretty decently. If you've been listening to my coverage of Absolute Carnage, you know how I feel at this point. I thought this issue was a lot more than I thought it would be.
1: Obviously, in addition to having this tie into Absolute Carnage, we kind of get, I feel, Some of the more aggressive storytelling involving this mysterious villain named Kindred or Shush. May Shush rest in peace, I guess. You know, and it's funny. We were were chatting before we started recording here. And, like, I feel like there are things about this issue that start to make it feel kind of obvious who... Kindred is. And then when you really think about it and start looking at the evidence that Spencer and Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley laid out before you, I think it, things are even more confusing now.
0: <laughs> Mark, I had to literally, we had to say, let's stop talking before we hit record here, because we were th- been theorizing for like 20 minutes on the phone together. And you could come up with harebrained theories suggesting every character, existent and non- is kindred, right? It is It is so nebulous, and yet it's one of those things where I feel like we're going to find out and look back and be like, oh, all the clues were there in some kind of tortured way. Every time I swear that I'm done theorizing about this, some new theory comes into my brain that makes me excited to talk about it all over again. And to me, that's a sign that this is like actually working pretty well. And I thought that the teases given here We're of a little bit more substantial, like to the point that I can't guess it, which is good. I don't want to guess it ahead of time because that, you know, I hope it's cooler than anything that I cook up and and really throws me because that's an exciting comic book. I felt like this is a better way to handle this than it has typically been done, although I still am itching for Kindred to work his way into Peter's life in a more substantial fashion as was teased by amazing spider-man 25 right we got that whole tease that he's going to start going after the other spider characters that we weren't thrilled by but ultimately that is a step forward we haven't gotten yet
1: what i feel was a game changer about this issue in regards to kindred and how this story is unfolding is i i I really feel like for the first time we're given really solid clues and and those clues may not add up to the answer yet or there might be a lot of misdirection going on but like you know something that i feel has plagued prior spider mysteries is like that lack of of letting people in on the game more i feel like there's too much like no no it's a mystery and i'm gonna keep you in the dark as long as I possibly can, and give you nothing to work with. Like I feel like that was kind of the issue with the the last Green Goblin mystery, for example. You know, throughout Superior, and and you know the other the other way this seems to go in the past is they give you all this evidence and then decide to like completely like throw you off just to for the sake of throwing you off. I don't think we're approaching either scenario yet. We're getting evidence. But it's still kind of wide open. There's no easy answer yet, even if you think there might be in this issue. We're about to debunk a lot of that, I think. Let's get into it. Let's talk about this issue a little bit. We start off and we're back in the... And Even though, again, this is absolute carnage, we know... It's more than that because we start off and we're f- we're going back to the scene with Mysterio and the therapist where he's talking to the therapist about who Kindred is, and then that leads us to uh, seeing Norman Osborne in Ravencroft being visited by Kindred.
0: Yeah, and this is a really interesting interesting scene because you know it's it's a flashback to I- issue twenty four, and you know who would have thought we would have gone back there and it basically is just an opportunity for Kindred to kind of monologue about his relationship to Norman Osborne. and the very idea that Kindred we're taking this time to set up Kindred's relationship to Norman Osborne suggests that that's important in some way. I mean, yes, Norman is a big player in this carnage story that we're getting, but I, I don't feel like a writer like Nick Spencer and, and allow me to kind of like put myself in his head. You know, if I'm writing a comic and I've only got so many pages and maybe I want to bring Kindred back, you know, maybe I do it by showing his relationship to Norman Osborn, but like, I wouldn't do that unless it was like integral to telling my audience something about where this character fits into the world. And we get some details on that. Like Kindred suggests like that at some point he was like tortured by Norman Osborn in in whatever form that means where Norman would like laugh you know, while he kind of like kicked whoever the kindred is screaming and and crying, and also the idea that like kindred felt that Norman was terrifying and always made him feel so quote so powerless whether the mask was on or not. There's a lot to kind of like take away from even just those two sentences, Mark, d- do they kind of imply anything to you?
1: There are a number of people over the years that have intersected with Peter and and Norman Osborne where where these words can certainly apply. I mean, Norman Osborne certainly has kind of rampaged through Peter Parker's personal life. I mean, obviously he is the father to Peter's best friend, Harry Osborne. He killed Peter's one-time girlfriend, Gwen Stacy. If you want to believe that since past his continuity, he sired children with this woman. Um, <laughs> you know, MJ, I mean, there was plenty over the years, especially, well, you know, he basically murdered Peter and MJ's child. Lots of people in Peter's life that certainly can have an ax to grind with Norman Osborn, who you could say tortured and made people feel powerless, whether they had superpowers or not. I don't know if that's important or not but if we're talking superpowers obviously harry at one point took the serum so he had powers this could be a lot of people
0: i'm very curious about the phrasing of that it made me feel powerless whether the mask was on or not because that implies that this person had a relationship with norman both as you know norman and as the green goblin and in a way that kind of like limits the list And, and and again this also is like Reliant on whether you find sin's past to be something that actually happened, which it, you know, it seems like Marvel has like said that story didn't happen. And I don't know how much Nick Spencer would be keen on going back to that really controversial story. Although he has been the kind of major course corrector. Like if he's going to course correct, like maybe go to the most, one of the most controversial stories of or maybe the two most controversial stories of Spider-Man in his cont- continuity since past and one more day. In that case, Gwen has experienced Norman with the mask on and off both as I guess the father to her children and as the green goblin, the persona that he murdered her in. But I don't really remember Gwen having much interactions with Norman outside of you know maybe the scene that we're going to get to later in this issue where she doesn't really seem to interact with him in any kind of way
1: there's that spectacular Spider-Man magazine issue where they're all having the dinner party and and Harry excuse me Norman goes nuts and becomes the goblin again although they don't know that the goblin is Norman but i mean he certainly not uh, an ideal citizen in that one. And they're all there for that, if memory serves, right?
0: I think, like, the main obvious one that, like, I think, it, it, if I were just to read this without diving into it, like, my immediate impression would be, as I said a few weeks ago, like, another theory is, like, oh, it's Harry Osborne. Like and, and you even texted me, like, is it really going to be Harry Osborne?
1: It feels kind of obvious to that degree. But I think... Well, we'll get into it, but there are other things going on that could lead us to other because, again, another person who I think has encountered plenty of Norman Osborne, both with the mask and out of the mask, is Mary Jane. That is very true as well. You know, there is a long history there with stories that are totally in continuity and would certainly be kind of being brought back to the forefront if, you know, by the sheer fact that Peter and MJ are together again, you know what I mean? So like just things to consider.
0: Let's uh, let's let that be a lead to your eventual reveal of your Mary Jane theory, because that's something that people should listen for and we're going to get there. And then we get like two other kind of little clues. Like, you know, Kindred says it was a long time ago suggesting that Kindred has been kind of in this group, I guess, for, for quite a while. And then there's the last quote, which is like, quote, back then you spent your days up in a tower looking down on all of us, end quote, which to me suggests like maybe even not somebody like Harry, who I think would be like kind of up in that tower with Norman, this kind of elitism thing. Or whether you think that that's just like Norman psychosis, you know, has him kind of looking down on everybody, but it suggests someone that kind of like looked up at the power of Norman Osborn. Is that was that what you took away?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I I didn't think it was literally, like, you know, someone who was or wasn't in the tower with him. It was more about just, like, this I, this awe-inspiring figure looking down upon the peons of the world that he could crush with his hands.
0: An interesting dressing down of, of, of Norman there. And th- there is an interesting implication of, like, you know, Kindred suggests, you know, I could just let these monsters inside of me out to tear you apart, you know, like suggesting the power dynamic has has shifted quite dramatically, which is interesting. But Kindred relents, you know, allowing Norman to kind of just sit in his psychosis, at, you know, and kind of catatonic state. The whole scene was very interesting to me. And I suspect we're going to look back on this and say, oh, it was all right there.
1: Following this scene, we actually kind of get back to absolute carnage for a bit we get the token secret wars number eight flashback sequence Yeah, you know, we have to get in every spider-man symbiote story it's in the contract look it up we also uh you know peter of course feels guilty that he brought the symbiote to him we get some stuff with spider-man having to save dylan brock and normie osborne we also catching up people like hey dylan brock appears to be eddie's son and normie osborne knows Peter's identity. When did when did we talk about the fact that like we were kind of confused that that reveal had happened? Was that that was a few episodes ago, right?
0: Yeah, or, or I talked to you privately, but I definitely talked about it on my absolute carnage number 1 review where I was like, "Wait a minute, when did this happen?" and I submitted a no prize to Donny Cates about this, suggesting that like maybe the Carnage symbiote shared it. I don't know when we talked about it, Mark. We talk about a lot. I I, I really liked how this kind of was short to kind of like pin all this on Peter's guilt because I think like the previous issue, I re- you know I really liked this issue because it did feel like Peter. We were getting a bit of Peter psychosis and a bit more of context for why he cares about this. Now the context of setting up Carnage. Is absurd. I mean, like, who can follow this kind of stuff? I mean, it's pretty unreal, like, to get through, like, this is Venom, and he had a child, and then that child got on Norman Osborn, and then Norman Osborn had a psychotic break and thinks he's this other guy. It's a lot to take in if I hadn't been keeping up with all that stuff. So I don't really know how well anybody not reading Absolute Carnage could follow this. Oh, I think it's a decent recap. But I do love this bit about Peter feeling guilty about the symbiotes and whatever Nick Spencer and Donnie Cates had to do to line up that character beat. I think it's really great.
1: And then we also get like some summary in- regarding the Red Goblin from, you know, the last few issues of the Dan Slott run on Amazing Spider-Man. But again, like I was actually kind of having – and I'm reading Absolute Carnage. Granted, I'm only reading the mini and not the tie-ins because I I just can't buy that many comics anymore. I'm a bad person, I guess. So I'm a little confused ab- about like, is this actually the Red Goblin symbiote he's fighting right now, or is this like another ver- Like, is this who is this Dan? Like, can you can you help me? help a brother out here? I think it's
0: the Grendel symbiote, right? Like, is the Grendel symbiote went onto Cletus's dead. Body, which like had a Carnage symbiote at the time, I believe, or someone brought the Grendel symbiote to Cletus's dead body. I don't quite follow it because I know that Carnage was killed in like Venomverse, and I don't know. I mean, like I've had all these you know symbiote experts on for our absolute Carnage coverage, and they do a better job than I do. I can't keep the symbiote stuff straight, and I. It's an admitted weakness that you and I have talked about even all the way back in like Venom Inc. Where we're like, who can keep up with like what the symbiotes can and can't do? It's kind of one of those things where you just kind of accept that it's carnage, even though I think it's actually the Grendel symbiote creating a like mock carnage suit for Norman to wear.
1: I don't even know. If you can't keep up, I definitely can't keep up. But I tell you something that did catch my mind, which was... We then kind of lead out of this whole Red Goblin thing into this flashback sequence. And Dan, you, you, the ever eagle-eyed one, pointed out to me before we came on the show that this is from Amazing Spider-Man number 105. And then you found the page for me. I referenced it. And and man, there, there is some, there's some, this is an interesting choice by Spencer and Otley, don't you think? <laughs>
0: 100%. So we get this like flashback scene and it is word for word exactly Amazing Spider-Man number 105. And some of the images are like direct callbacks to the Gil Kane's work in, in that book. And and I'll, I'll say it up front before we talk about Otley overall, like, boy, I would read Ryan Otley redraws Spider-Man, classic Spider-Man like I would pay for that like a new comic. These pages looked amazing.
1: Yeah, this is really spectacular stuff, no doubt.
0: It's curious because like it's funny, you know, like you read that old stuff and you're like, "Oh, it's so dated and you know, uh everybody, you know, talks in such an you know, an old-fashioned way." But then when I read it here with the new artwork, it's like it immediately had like a fresh life to it. You know, it didn't feel that different from Anything else I had been reading in the comic,
1: and it was nice to see Gwen for a change. Where we're not seeing her get thrown off a bridge, or talking about her getting thrown off a bridge.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. You're Right, like it, it, Gwen's memory is like only of her in death. So like here, seeing her like alive in a in a in a way. Although we do get a reference to her death, you know, it was it was uh, yeah, like you said, re- refreshing. But which, you know, we get this scene, and it's you know the context of the scene is you know it's after Harry has kind of had his drug overdose, which we talked about in an earlier episode of our show. And he's coming back for the first time. And so like, it seems like Peter and, and Aunt May and, and the gang have kind of collaborated to throw this welcome back party for Harry that just so happens to also function as a welcome back party for flash. And it's kind of one of those like real, like nice, one of the last big, like the gang is together scenes. Like certainly the, one of the last big ones before Gwen is killed. I think the scene ties in because Peter is like thinking about the people that he lost to Norman, but it also begins to dovetail with the kindred stuff towards the end. So, so let's talk about this. Why did do we think Spencer chose this particular scene to showcase in this comic? Like, is there something special about this scene?
1: If you go back to the the original comic, there's a there's a very curious. Cutaway, which then you know ties in exactly to the to the Kindred sequence here, which is this, you know, in between like all this like celebrating and you know like oh Gwen's flirting with Flash and MJ's flirting with Peter and Harry is kind of the odd man out but is also feeling like internally grateful that these people are here for him and he's kind of tearing up. There's this this thing and you know at the at the time Kindred is tormenting norman with it where do you, do you know do you know what was said next right that's kind of where what the setup is and and again this is word for word it's kindred is saying do you know what was said next and it's like it's it's all too good to be true and then if you look back at amazing spider-man number 105 the line preceding it's all too good to be true is flash thompson is back and we don't see who in the it's like a shadowy silhouette like a like a, it's like looking at the window through the window outside the house at the party so you just see like you know the shadows of figures having this conversation at the party in 105 so we don't say it's too, we don't hear who says it's all too good to be true flash and flash thompson is back but we do know that there's this thought bubble coming from peter where his, his spider sense is going off and he's sensing something up with flash thompson There's something wrong with Flash Thompson.
0: Which would ultimately get paid off, right? Like Flash was troubled about the whole Shoshan stuff and his kind of experiences in Vietnam. It is odd that that would trigger Peter's spider sense. But it's weird that Spencer chose this particular panel. I mean, we're getting down to a particular panel and i don't know if someone wants to you know if he wants to hang it all on this panel but it is a very weird panel to reference because kindred is implying that norman said it's all too good to be true but we'd never see who that is and it's this it's this weird retcon and maybe it's a really small retcon but there is a level of mystery there
1: the line we're getting here in in 30 is do you know what is it? Do you know what you said next or he said next? I
0: believe it's what you said next. See, now I'm going to flip through my issue live here on the air and tell you. It says, do you remember what you said next? You knew even then. It, it's all too good to be true. That's Kindred talking to Norman.
1: It just seems so curious to me that, that we would pick this scene and... There's something going on here.
0: <laughs> well, what what's special about this scene, I think, is it's the gang is all back together. Right. And like, really, this is probably the last time that the gang was all together in this way. Like, in, in a, you know, because Gwen would die 15 issues later, you know, and a lot of that time was spent with Peter kind of traveling around the country and Gwen being gone. Like, this was probably the last big party scene. I have to really look at that because if it is, there's a special significance to the gang all being back together. There's, the, like you mentioned earlier, the weird you know dynamics of Gwen flirting with Flash, MJ flirting with Peter, and curiously, if you read 105 straight through this scene, there is one moment that's left out of Amazing Spider-Man 30, which is a scene where MJ is flirting with Peter, and Peter expresses like, you know, some concern about that because Harry is there. And so there is that weird dynamic like that Harry's on the out, but neither issue emphasizes any kind of jealousy from Harry. So like, you know, initially I thought, well, maybe this is like a version of Harry that's jealous that Peter's ending up with MJ again. But if that were true, you would think the book would go out of its way to emphasize Harry's emotions. Does that does that sound right?
1: Yeah, it does. The other kind of bit that we're getting here in thirty that I think is pertinent to what you're just discussing is is Kindred's kind of sticking to the fact that you know ha- that Norman went after these people as children, like he, like there's like this 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 emphasis on that that you know you you went after children, which leads me to believe that Kindred was either a child, quote unquote, him him or herself when they were attacked by Norman or damaged by Norman or was someone who observed Norman doing this and knew what Norman was up to. It seems so fascinating to me. I mean, like you said, maybe this the scene was picked because it was just the last time that all these characters were alive together in the same room. Very possibly. But then why these characters? Why are we sticking with these characters? And, you know, you, you had mentioned, you know, during this attack sequence between Spider-Man and Carnage that, like, in between, like, all the the punches that carnage is landing we're seeing the visuals of gwen and mj and and harry and flash and you know on one breath it's like is this a flashback like that, that you know and we're just like kind of reliving this or in you you know i'm going to credit dan for saying this before we went on the air is this a rogues gallery are we insinuating that one of these characters in some shape or form is kindred and I think it's that.
0: I think it's entirely possible, you know. I mean, it, it's setting up something as, as a loss. But then the the way Kindred looks back on it is so fascinating. I mean, there's a sort of like world weariness to Kindred that suggests it's an older person who saw what, you know, Norman was doing, as you were saying and And that points me immediately to captain stacy, but like and, and the idea of protecting the innocent, which we've seen kindred do, right? there's the bit with the centipede and m j being kind to the centipede and letting it go that he's there to protect m j but he's gunning for spider man, and that got us on 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 that road I mean really, here's the thing, like Mark, I could say all that things, but like I'm pointing myself in dozens of different directions you know i've got the lookouts happening like over here like there's so many things going on like whatever this person is it, it's it's fascinating but like i i can't i don't know what to grab onto and what not. you know it, it's it's that whole bit with you know the the robot master or whatever you know where he's saying like guess my name guess my name guess my name over and over and over again from what issue five of this run i can't like this is this is a a writer that is toying with us quite effectively and and that's the thing is like i know that he wouldn't do this and just throw clues out there that aren't insubstantial i'm just not maybe i'm not smart enough or i'm not i don't have the filter on enough to say that it's it did but yeah like if if this is a rogues gallery these images these faces that we're seeing like okay that helps me Kind of narrow it down. Do you want to go through these four people and discuss how they might fit in?
1: I think we need to. Let me preface all that by saying, you know, one of the theories that we've been throwing out there from the get go, Dan, this is your theory, is that this is like some kind of like demented manifestation of like married, the soul of married Peter kind of coming back. And I don't think that's ruled out. I still think there's some possibility here because like there's like all these like weird. Pronoun choices being used in this issue where, you know, Kindred is talking about he and him and you and and it's like, who is he talking to? Is he talking about Norman? Is he talking about Peter or Spider-Man? Is he talking about himself? It's not clear. So I think we got to throw that out there and say, to me, that's still on the table. I don't think that's been ruled out.
0: I'm very squarely in the camp of this kindred person is not a person. It's not like it's just someone that died and is, like, coming back. Like, it is a manifestation of some external thing, right? Like, whether it's, like, a melding, like, the marriage, like, personified, I don't think it's just a person. Like, it is, like, an emotion like it is like a like a scab or something that is angry. I, I just, although there are moments where it talks as though it was a person, like th- like suggesting like we are alike, like we, we at one point were people that were looking forward to having a good life. So that sounds like a human being, but it could be applied externally. So uh, you should get to your MJ theory just to kick this off because it does relate to this very thing you're discussing.
1: I was actually gonna suggest we first talk about who it could physically be first before we talk about the more theoretical stuff.
0: All right. That's fine. Yeah. So take, take, take us through it
1: just to kind of lay it all out there. So obviously we said this up front, this feels almost too on the nose. Some about Harry Osborn, right? We have not really seen Harry all that much outside of some stuff towards the end of the, of the dance slot run where he was Harry Lyman. He seemed to have made peace with Peter so it doesn't make total sense that he would come back now as this like demonic person meant on killing him, but maybe hit, seeing him back with MJ triggered something with Harry and he's crazy now. I'm, again, wouldn't be shocking, right? I mean, like it, I, I, I might be disappointed, but it wouldn't be shocking.
0: Let me throw like a metaphysical version of, of Harry Osborn into this field here, which is the like Harry did die. And we got someone else back as part of the Mephisto thing, but there is still the like originally dead Harry. Now I know that Harry Osborne isn't tied up in the Mephisto like thing. It just kind of got looped into the brand new day thing for, I think, an ultimately kind of weird reveal that Harry had been like hiding away in Europe for all of these years. But I do think that there's a possibility that, like, Nick Spencer could go, that was actually a lie. Harry's been dead, and here is the, like, other version of Harry come back in in some regard. That's really far-fetched, and we posted it on an earlier episode, but in in my head, that's still an
1: option. Yes and yes. It could be Harry Harry. It could be Demon Harry, right? Sure. Demon Harry it is. All right. So one or the other. Then another kind of, like, maybe semi-obvious coming back from the dead situation is Flash Thompson. Now, okay, Flash just died, right? And he died a hero. And, you know, Peter revealed his identity to him in that issue, you know, when he dies. And it's like, you know, you made Spider-Man proud. I mean, like, it just seems like the perfect capper to Flash Thompson's life. Why? Why would he be coming back and doing this? And you're right, but at the same token, going back to issue 105, and what was what was the thing that that preface? It's all too good to be true. Flash Thompson is back, <laughs> so there's something intentional about that. This seems like a red herring. It probably is, but I think we have to consider it.
0: I will say, if it's Flash Thompson. I will be so deeply disappointed in that reveal because it does not add up to me. Like, I just don't think the other clues tie into flash Thompson. Like it's just, it's too personal for that. Like flash Thompson is too apart from like something as personal as Peter Parker for, for it to be motivating something this mysterious and long winded. Like, I just don't think that that is a, I think Nick Spencer's smarter than that.
1: But I think it just has to be posited as an option. That's all. Now, let me get a little weirder, but still kind of in the realm of Back from the Dead. Well, who is someone else that Norman Osborn has a connection to, both with a mask on and without a mask on? We said it earlier this, this episode. Gwen Stacy. Obviously, Norman killed Gwen. And depending on your belief in Sins Pass... He slept with her and had children with her. <laughs> could this, you know, we we like like you said earlier, you know, Nick Spencer has a tendency to kind of right the wrongs or or play, you know, or course correct stories that maybe didn't go right but have potential. Could this pain and suffering that Gwen uh, that the kindred is referring to could it be Gwen referring to being raped by Norman during since past and and so there's kind of a revenge fantasy there. And she too would have, I guess, an axe to grind with Peter because as was revealed during the clone conspiracy, she overheard the fight between Peter and Norman and Peter revealing his identity. So I don't know. Like Again, kind of lame, but possible.
0: I think that's a really good guess, except for the motivation to want to hurt Spider-Man in some way. like, And the fact that Kindred talks about Gwen in like the third person Uh, you know he, he references to Peter you know calling out in his sleep for Gwen and 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 that's curious to me like that, that that doesn't seem like something a resurrected
1: or demon Gwen would really do fair enough so then here's the other one and this one I I brought up before we came on the air and Dan, I mean, I, I'm looking at you through a computer screen, but I think I blew your mind a little bit with this one.
0: You definitely did. And it's, it's funny because it's, it's a light swerve away from my
1: initial guess. What if Kindred is Mary Jane, not physical Mary Jane, but the married manifestation of Mary Jane that essentially sold the soul of the marriage to Mephisto as part of One More Day?
0: Well, there's definitely an axe to grind there. Yes.
1: Didn't she more or less say, "I don't want to like I don't want to know this happened," right? Like that was kind of <laughs> her thing, right? Well, I
0: mean, if he's getting back with Mary Jane again, it suggests a sort of like the deal can be undone and the sacrifice was for nothing. You know, like that that would be that way that I would posit it because Mary Jane in One More Day is supportive of Peter's wishes, right? She's a very gracious she goes along with it as a hero herself, right? Like I, I re I read her in that in that story, which is very controversial. And Mark, you and I have like I think more positive feelings about it than the average Spider Man reader does. At least people that I hear from. I mean, you wrote a defense of it. Uh, there is a heroic act going on there, and Mary Jane, you know, even in the her- her- heroism, she whispers something to, you know, Mephisto, which would ultimately be a very lame reveal in uh, one moment in time if I were to create a villain out of this, that didn't want like Spider-Man wanted to protect innocent people like Mary Jane specifically, that would be where I would go with it is she's pissed that like the sacrifice was for nothing. And Peter's only going to like unleash hell by getting back together with MJ or something like that.
1: Right. And the fact is, you know, you mentioned earlier the scene where MJ doesn't harm the centipede. So is there something kindred A kinship between them that you would say that would have prevented her from harming them. When Spider-Man is having these visions during Hunted about kindred harming Mary Jane, like, that's not what actually happens. And could that not be happening because they are, in essence, the same? Not that the Mary Jane that Peter is with at this moment is kindred, but if they are indeed kind of like spiritual manifestations of each other... They're the same, right? Like, you, he he couldn't harm her. Like, he can't. I, I, I keep saying he, and I'm referring to the character of being a she. And doesn't Kindred say many times over that Kindred can't harm, and that would never harm MJ?
0: Yeah. Well, although it is curious because MJ is now, you know, across the country with Mysterio, who's working on behalf of Kindred to kind of isolate Peter in some way. Uh, at least that's my read on it. I think it's a really interesting idea, like this marriage manifestation. I mean, the hands of Kindred are bandaged up. Is it to hide a wedding ring? I mean, that seems like a little bit too far. You could just bandage a finger if if your wedding ring is seared onto you. But there's a reason the hands and the face are all bandaged. I think those are all good theories, as good as any other. And that's the real challenge here.
1: I mean, there's also the line in here about Peter still crying out, like, Gwen's name in bed, which Kindred kind of uses as, like, a, a derogatory, derisive line about Peter, like, how weak he is that he's doing that while sharing a bed with MJ. So, again, like, like how, how would Kindred know that unless Kindred has shared a bed with Peter?
0: Or shares a brain. And that's the thing, right? But like who has shared a bed with Peter that has an axe to grind? I mean, other than like Deb Whitman. Oh, I don't know if they ever got that far.
1: I mean, or Carly Cooper.
0: Right. That's the other thing. You know, it's like Carly suddenly back in the picture again out of nowhere. She definitely has an axe to grind with Norman, right? Because she was turned into a goblin. But I don't think she has much of a person, like, you know, a relationship with the guy outside of the mask you know, like, Norman was not Norman at the time. He was our favorite person, Mason Banks. I don't really, like, to to do this whole scene with Norman, with, for, to, for it to be Carly, doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: The connection between MJ and Norman Osborn, of which it's plentiful, right? I mean, like, like MJ has had... Plenty of interaction with Norman Osborn, both as the Goblin and as Norman Osborn. I mean, way down to the fact that Norman kidnapped and murdered their child, <laughs> and many scenes during, like, like that the Paul Jenkins run on Peter Parker Spider-Man, or not identity. What preceded Identity Crisis? The hunt, Hunted, or Hunt, or whatever. Uh, spy Yeah. Not only would this manifestation have an axe to grind with Peter. But absolutely with Norman Osborne too, and it would feel like like Norman robbed her of her youth and her radiance, right?
0: A hundred percent. So I'm I'm with you on that. I wanna I wanna kinda introduce some other things that are curious that I think maybe you can use to kind of eliminate people. So like there's this moment where Kindred is like looking in at Norman and suggests that like, you know, Kindred fashioned his herself after Norman in a way because He's the monster that keeps living in Peter's nightmares and Kindred wants to be something that haunts Peter's nightmares and that he like fashioned his costume and stuff to resemble the goblin because of it. So like that whole like hobgoblin kind of hood and the kind of like capiness of Kindred is a goblin construct in a way like whatever it is. So I, to me, this will be a knock against the Harry theory to me, because why would Harry need to look to Norman to model, you know, himself after like Harry was already a goblin and part of Peter's nightmares. Like to me, that would be like redundant for Harry to express that.
1: There was definitely some intentional either misdirection or direction going on here that would lead us to think Harry. So like we can't, you know, while We can speculate why that wouldn't be the case. There is, you know, we have to take the evidence that's being handed to us and consider it.
0: Nick Spencer, you're killing us here. (laughs) You're you're killing us. In a good
1: way. Like, this is actually, I'm actually like super excited about this mystery again. I was kind of getting turned off to it because I just felt it wasn't going anywhere. And like, I felt like this issue was a total game changer. You know, discounting the original theory of yours about Peter. There are four other tangible subjects that, that this could be, and there still could be someone completely out there. Because like you said, what's with all the references to Captain Stacy's death that we've been getting in this book since it started?
0: So I want to talk about the I think is the most curious line in the entire book in regards to Kindred, and I'll read it straight through. So here it goes. The end of innocence made flesh. Each time he sees you, all I can remember is how he thought he'd have a good life. I suppose we really are very alike in that regard. So this is Kindred talking about Norman Osborne. but the thing that's curious to me is, about it, there's a couple things curious about it. First of all, you mentioned this earlier. There's this weird mix up of pronouns. Like Kindred says each time he sees you in reference to Peter and follows up by saying all I can remember is how he thought he'd have a good life. So like... He's talking about Peter, but then saying all I can remember. So like it, it suggests he's almost like seeing the world through Peter's eyes. Does that make sense?
1: It speaks as if it's through Peter's head.
0: But like referencing Peter in the third person. It's very strange.
1: But a line like that too makes me also wonder, it, it kind of to me puts the, the lens back on Harry. Because Harry is someone that shared a level of, I don't want to say intimacy, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously kinship, friendship with Peter on a level that none of these other characters have. They can talk from a shared kind of perspective of looking at Norman and thinking, at one point I thought I was, I would have a good life, but you ruined it. You know, like, like I think both can make that claim about Norman.
0: But then also like Gwen could make that claim too. You know, like, I thought I'd have a good life, and you snuffed it out. And and there's this discussion on our spider slack about Kindred's gender, and I had to kind of look back at it, and it's weird because this book opens with, like, a reference to Kindred from Mysterio suggesting him, that Kindred was a he, which, you know, you can't hear the voice, so I imagine that would be what Mysterio would be going by, but the him is bolded. And, you know, I don't want to read too much into the bolding of things because sometimes it does seem very arbitrary, but like Nick Spencer's a careful guy, especially in regards to Kindred, it seems. But I don't know whether to read that as confirmation or as like a suggested wrong, you know, like we're putting him in bold so that you think it's a him only so I can turn it around and tell you it's not a him. You can't say one way or the other, really. I mean, now we're just hyper-analyzing this. And then the book ends, like, with obviously this image of Carnage, Norman Carnage standing over, you know, Peter's body. Kindred suggests that, like, look, Norman, you'll never get to kill Spider-Man, but you've already won. Meaning that, like, he kind of beat him by destroying his innocence in, in a way, but also that like the conclusion of whatever's going on between Spider-Man and Carnage right now, it's kind of like already foretold that like he's not going to defeat Spider-Man, but Kindred will. I'm at least that was the kind of like implication that I took away from it. But then there's the idea of like, how does Kindred know this? Can Kindred see the future? It's this vague speechifying that suggests so much, but also can just be nothing.
1: Well, we also don't know at what point in time Kindred is having this talk with Norman.
0: Well, he's talking to him back in ASM 24.
1: Oh, okay. You're right. You're right.
0: That to me seems like the kind of overarching kind of narrative device here is this is all a speech from the past.
1: Well, Dan, lots of process here. want to give a grade? Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, we didn't talk much about Ryan Otley's art, but I just wanted to say, welcome back. This is amazing. And I finally got to see Ryan Otley do the symbiotes that I wanted to see. And I don't think he disappointed it at all. I'm giving this one, this is a, an A minus to me.
1: I'm right there with you, Dan. A minus. This is the, the, the best issue we've had in a while, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, two good ones back to back. Like maybe it was just getting past hunted. Now we can kind of start cooking again.
1: Well, thanks to everyone for joining us on this episode. We really do appreciate your support, and I, I hope you all enjoyed our game theory here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we're going to be proven right or wrong, Dan, but, but this was a lot of fun to, to kind of go on about.
0: For two guys who said they were done speculating, we sure did a lot of speculating here. And, and let us know what you think. Maybe our discussion sparked something for you. I mean, I, what I'm going to start doing, I think, is go back and, like, make a list of all the clues as we and start crossing them out as we go through this. Because it's going to line up eventually, right? I mean, like, why do a mystery if we can't guess it early? Not, not that we necessarily want to, but I, I, we're all on the same team here. Maybe we can all, like, hive mind this together. Sounds like a plan, Dan. (laughs) All right, great. See you guys later. This episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while also getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Mark, did you hear that random robotic voice? Who are you, random ad read woman? We need to know. Is this Jocasta from Dan Slot's Invincible Iron Man run? Well, until we figure that out, we hope you enjoy these reviews so far. Because we have another one coming up, and it's time for Amazing Spider-Man number 31. Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man 31.
1: Who could have guessed months ago that Absolute Carnage was going to be like the, the storyline that paid off a lot of this like long-simmering storytelling that's been going on in this book, Dan? It, it, seems, it seems totally out of nowhere for me. I, I never in a million years would have expected this.
0: And who would have thought that the the tie-in issues, as we kind of joked, were the would be the most character-centric ones we've gotten in a while?
1: Ultimately, a carnage story, no less, which is like, you know, when it comes to character, carnage is where character usually goes to die.
0: <laughs> Mark, just to you know jump into it. amazing spider-man number thirty one, legacy eight thirty two. I really enjoyed this issue, and I think the crossover in general, and I, I think the key to that is that we got a pretty simple but effective Peter story that put us in his head, which we've kind of been asking for for a while. And like you said, make connections between everything we've been getting. But like, wow, it's kind of neat to see his past and present leverage together to make it feel like history actually matters on books like this.
1: We've been going to the well in terms of, like you said, Peter's history the last few issues, probably more critical history in this issue in terms of the, the comics being referenced. I mean, we're talking about truly historic milestone issues, ones that we are discussing in our very long simmering, equally long simmering season three of Amazing Spider-Talk, Dan.
0: And it's great to kind of go back to that time. It's like, oh, we're covering that. And this book is very clearly in that realm of, of operation. Otley has been doing an amazing job on these two issues. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if he have been let simmer for a while, he's clearly been working on something. And if it was this, then like, you know, I love seeing his flashbacks. I said it last time I'd read, you know, him redoing all those old issues. Not that they weren't, you know, had their own value. But boy, he really brings kind of a fresh coat of paint to it all. He made it all feel like it transpired just the other day.
1: I think that's what's so interesting about it. I, I, I feel like a lot of times when modern creator creators or illustrators pay homage to past moments of spider-man it's it's you know they feel more like recreations and kind of you know there's a there's a safety element to it I mean you know like I'm thinking like some of like Kamakoli stuff with Dan Slott I mean which we which I enjoyed but at the same token like there was nothing like transcendent or different about it whereas like you said with with Otley's work here with these flashbacks the last two issues like they are recreations, but at the same token, there's a freshness to his style and and what he's bringing to these characters. And you know, you're you're always so much better at kind of breaking down the art than I am. What am I seeing here that that is making me say that?
0: I just think that his line work is very classic. You know, like it, it, it's it's bold and and controlled. You know, it, it's these panels are boxy like it used to be, and it doesn't feel like too much of a divergence from his normal style. And so it just kind of seems to fit in. I mean, you know, Otley is very kind of classically trained, it seems, but you're right. There's a modernism to it. There's a sort of digital nature to it that like updates everything. That's what I like about it. But I I think it's really just like the line work and the inking and and all of that stuff. It, 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 you know, in the paneling, it feels like something out of that era. And, but I think it's also been kind of Nick Spencer's approach to this book. I think he's been doing a lot of things whenever he has Otley on his, his books tend to feel a lot more cl- like classic Spider-Man
1: I find it interesting how these characters look younger you know we are distinguishing t- that time has passed but like it's not like high school Peter or, or you know goe's stuff I mean like this is this is we're getting into the era of Spider-Man when when this initially happened in the 70s where like you know these characters were already starting to become more like adults and yet you know, the way Otley is doing it, they're clearly younger adults versus what he's doing now, if that makes sense.
0: One of the things I like that Spencer does, and I think my favorite issues of his are ones like this, where, you know, he's doing a classic Spider-Man, but the structure of the book is more kind of transcendental in a way that, like, only comics can do. Like, it's it's working purely on a psychological level as it's weaving between multiple stories at a similar time. And that's a really hard thing to balance correctly. And I think Spencer's especially good at it. I mean, the one that really stands out, I think, overall, his book still is Amazing Spider-Man number one. But I think this is a really complicated feat. I mean, I think you're you, you're robbed a little bit of complexity from Peter's main, um, you know, in the moment narrative. But the background that supports all of this and how it ties in all these other things to form Peter's psychology in the moment makes those kind of brief moments of him punching Carnage all the more powerful.
1: I mean, not for nothing, I thought this was like a pretty exciting Spider-Man Carnage fight or Spider-Man Osborn fight or however you want to put it. <laughs> however, these characters break down, I think due to the structure of it and how we kind of weaved in and out, we got a little bit more insight into Peter here, which we don't always get in, in certainly in a Carnage story. So I, I for whatever reason, I kind of feel like this is one of the the better encounters between the two. It, it The stakes felt high.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of punching and and a lot of complications to it going on. But I think that Carnage is dealing with a sort of psychological battle of his own with Cletus Cassidy and Norman Osborn, and that Peter is dealing with some kind of psychological holdup that keeps him from winning. You know, this battle of the mind seems to be going on. And, and you're right. It's like we've seen the punching fight between him and Carnage many times before, but I've never seen one quite as complicated in terms of psychological stuff than than this. I mean, this is like a a J.M. Mateus issue in in many ways. In in my mind, it's like, it's very much from that camp of of Spider-Man writing, which is like, get deep inside the guy's brain constantly, constantly, constantly.
1: I didn't even think about that in the moment, but that's a a really great analogy. But Dan, I, I do feel like we're burying the lead here a little bit. Yes, this is a good Peter Carnage story or good Spider-Man Carnage story. Yes, the art is great. But, you know, let's let's be honest. Last last Patreon episode, we were talking Kindred, Kindred, Kindred. And frankly, I mean, I don't know is it even worth guessing anymore? It just seems so darn obvious, Dan.
0: <laughs> well, that's, the, that's the curious thing about this issue is it does seem very, very obvious that who Kindred is. I mean, I, I don't want to presuppose that our audience figured it out, but from what I've been reading online, everybody seems to have figured it out and, you know, at least figured it out in regards to what this book has to offer. And, I want to talk about whether we feel like that's a good or a bad thing. I mean, I think it's hard to say until we actually get that final reveal. But like, do we just want to say who this issue is obviously pointing towards just straight up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think after spending almost an hour talking about all these different options last issue, I mean, I would say like this issue certainly narrows that list down considerably to one, maybe two of our options. So why don't we just get to it and, and say it?
0: yeah, it's Harry Osborne. I mean, I brought this up. I don't know how many episodes ago that that was a theory of mine. And I kind of like uh, I have to admit, like reading it so plainly, nakedly obvious here without actually having the reveal has me pretty disappointed if it is actually Harry Osborne. Like, I think it's still a cool idea to you know, and specifically, I think it's a pre one more day Harry Osborne. Like there's something that happened in Europe or he didn't really spend time in Europe when he came back. You know, it, it seems very clearly that Nick Spencer at least wants us to think that this is Harry Osborne.
1: And I think I said this all the way back when you first speculated about Harry however many months ago, which was that, you know, you have to think one of the more curious things to happen in the aftermath of one more day. I mean, literally within Pages of the marriage being wiped away. Harry osborne was back. You know what I mean? Like, like there was something very kind of cause and effect to the deal with Mephisto and and MJ and Pete being broken up, that then seemed to have brought Harry back. And you know, Harry was there, and you know that kind of remained a mystery for a couple of dozen issues, and then we got the whole, like you said, the explanation of him being in Europe. But you know, like like you said, people could be lying. You know, there's no, you know, we're talking about, you know, Osborne stories here. So there's no guarantee that what was being put about in those stories, it was in fact the truth. I can't get over the fact that, you know, if you go back and read whatever it was, was it uh, five forty or five forty-one? I I don't even remember the numbers anymore. But that issue, you know, the marriage is gone, and then here's Harry. The fact that Peter and MJ have gotten back together, and then this that and that seems to have introduced this kindred character, seems to have made sense. It, it, it does make sense. At the same token, I don't want to call it a letdown because let's see where it goes. But like. It feels weird to me that this was this mystery being built up for so long when I think maybe this could have even been more interesting without the mystery, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, just seeing Harry kind of plotting in the background or something.
1: Yeah, or not or not even plotting, but like to see to see the snap. You know what I mean? Like literally something has driven him into this madness. You know what I mean? And I and, and I think I'm more curious to see that story than to and In what's inevitably going to happen if this is indeed what what it is where you know we finally get the unmasking or whatever and then we get you know maybe like a flashback issue or something that shows harry you know this is how i got here kind of a thing you know what i mean like that's that's that seems to be generally when we have these mystery villains what what the setup is whereas i think the story of how harry got to here you know from here to there is more interesting to me
0: I think that this Kindred character is a different character than Harry Lyman. Like, I don't know if that was like maybe an intentional thing on Dan Slott's part to build up that last name in order to help Nick Spencer out. I mean, it made sense to me at the time that Harry would want to lose the Osborne last name. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not 100% sold because it seems so obvious as to be a red herring but like all the clues fit so like if it's a red herring there's a character out there that's not harry that is like really a lot like harry
1: i think we're at the point now where if this is indeed a red herring it's a subtle red herring it's a it's a red herring the way going back to superior that the green goblin was norman osborn you know what i mean like like it was norman osborn with with you know facial surgery you know what i mean and i'm not saying spencer's going to redo that gag but i'm just saying like i i think it's patently obvious it's harry but like you said what's what's the catch is it going to be like some kind of reverted demon demon incarnation of harry that was you know Basically, reignited because Peter and MJ got back together. Is this just Harry descending into madness again out of jealousy? Is this parallel universe, Harry? I mean, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, but I think it's Harry. I, I you know, I, I, I don't know really. The only other option based on the clues is that we've talked about again is kind of like this other version of Peter. You know, like whether it's like the manifestation of the marriage or however you want however you want to do it, but maybe like an alternate Peter or another. I don't want to call it a clone, because I don't think it's a clone per se, but like and the only like possible clue to that is the fact that later on in this issue when Kindred is kind of tormenting Carnage and and Cletus is, you know, let's Norman get a word in and Norman's like you know, basically says, you know, you've always been my legacy. And and that's the thing. Like the the rivalry between Peter and Harry is not that Harry is the legacy. It was that Norman always saw Peter as the legacy.
0: I have another spin on that that I want to talk about a little bit later, just as kind of like another out there theory. But But I do think like, you know, if I'm Nick Spencer and I'm looking at the best Spider-Man mysteries, you know, I'm looking at Hobgoblin and, and how many giant red herrings like this did we get with the Hobgoblin? I mean, we got like a, a flash Thompson is the Hobgoblin, you know, until it inevitably went completely off the rails. But I don't know. I mean, like, I think you're right. Like, it seems so patently obvious that it's Harry, but like, it's just so obvious. I mean, at the same time, this is the guy that like teased us about the Craven reveal which was so obvious but this is so much bigger than that it seems like a real waste to give us so many clues and then not have the reveal in the same issue like are we going to come back to this in six months having already figured this out i have to think he thinks we're smarter than this but maybe he thinks that his clues in this issue were more cryptic than than they were but like could
1: you make this more obvious i mean just look at the story i mean we're we're the flashback is amazing Spider-Man number 121 that's the death of Gwen but like one of the key the key plot points of that story is Norman going insane because Harry's on drugs again you know like it's so it's it's a Harry it's a Harry Norman story before it evolves into a Norman Peter Gwen story you know what i mean like that's how the whole thing falls about and like you said, I mean, like, you know, I've joked at the beginning, who would have guessed that absolute carnage would be the, the issue that, you know, where, where this long simmering mystery comes to a head. But the fact of the matter is, like, given what has happened with the carnage character and his merging with, with Norman over the last year, couple of years, it makes perfect sense if this is who your kindred is. You know what I mean? Like, it's all related. <laughs> like, this is obviously, if you're going to bring Norman back, and your other secret villain is Harry. Then that makes sense, right? I mean, why why else are we doing this now? <laughs> like, why are we waiting for a Norman Osborn story to again to start peeling away the layers of Kindred? So it, it it just like it's so structurally obvious at this point that to do something different would I would think would be such a betrayal of storytelling. So I mean, yeah, I know. Like, what do you, where do you go from here? And six months from now, what are you gonna do? I don't know, but. To not do it now would be, I think, a far bigger sin than to just kind of reveal it and be obvious about it and be disappointing about it.
0: Unless there's some next level smarter thing than than we're guessing. But like, that's giving him a lot of credit. I mean, maybe credit he's earned in, in some ways, you know, but he's done very smart things before. I just don't know why we needed to hem and haw over this for so long, if it's just going to be Harry, that seems like a real cat- like categorically wrong way to spend your time on something like this. And we'll only really know when it's all over whether or not, you know, we're presuming it's Harry right now, because it seems obvious that way, and maybe that's how he wants us to feel. Like, I, I, I feel like there was so much trolling with this, like the guess my name thing from, like, issue five with the Tri-Sentinels and... You know, even just the design of the character looking like a hobgoblin character, but with Dr. Octopus's arms, like it just seems like a hodgepodge of stuff. It's like everything just shoved together as a way to make you guess endlessly to to come up with something as simple as just like it's Harry seems like a real. Uh, uh, yeah, like I said, a, a, a poor investment in time and mystery.
1: Well, then. As I alluded to earlier about mysteries and superior Spider-Man and you talked about the Hobgoblin being kind of obvious about what that where that was going only for that to be thrown all over the place. Which Spider-Man mystery truly has been a home run through and through? I mean, you know what I mean? This is kind of like this is this is as part of the legacy of this comic and this character as, you know. Spider-Sense and The Death of Gwen. It's that these mysteries very, very, very rarely live up to the build that they're given. I mean, you know, even, even the ones that people think go well, like the original Green Goblin mystery. I mean... Who the heck was Norman Osborne when he was revealed in issue thirty nine? Right, I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't want to be so cynical. On the other end of us having this great episode last time, where we were doing all this hypothesizing, like, does this just kill that for you? Like, are you, like, are you just so sold? You're like, I'm done guessing on other things. Cause like, because even, like. Like, I'm just second guessing myself. I'm already coming up with other theories. And I'm like, am I just wasting my time? I mean, the answer is yes, clearly. <laughs> well, but. No,
1: I don't want to ever tell anyone they're wasting their time and having fun, having fun in a hobby that is meant to be fun. I feel like at this point, I got to look at the evidence that's in front of me. And I would just say to look at other directions, you really have to be reaching. Like we, we got it. I mean, like, Let's get some more evidence. You know what I mean? Like like we were able to do what we did last episode because we got just enough where we could have speculated, but now like we're getting so much that's pointing in this one specific direction that to just kind of start reaching in these other directions again. Well, well, maybe if it's this, it's this, it's this. I, I just feel like you're 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 digging deep, you know? Like you, you know, next issue we see kindred and harry standing side by side saying who the hell are you to each other then okay let's let's start all over again you know what i mean but but for now i think we just gotta take it at face value
0: can i just for the spirit of fun tell you about gwen's role in this book and how a lot of the clues can also apply to her
1: go for it i, I i'd love to hear it
0: okay so like we we get a lot of clues at the end of like about it being Harry, right? Where Norman says like, we'll be one big happy family that he's glad to see Kindred because he hasn't seen him in a while, that all the pain, all the sacrifice was worth it. And that all men dream of a legacy and you are most certainly his. I'm really proud. It was you. It's really you all along, right? All these things are so pointed at Harry, right? They're just so nakedly obvious. But if you think about it, a lot of these things also pertain to Gwen Stacy, who's kind of this silent character throughout all of these scenes, because it is focused around Gwen's, you know, the death of Gwen, these issues. And I think like, that's a character that, I mean, I don't really want her to come back in, in this form. And I don't think there's a great motive for it. You know, there's the idea of like all men dream of a legacy. Like it's so obviously Harry, but in the previous issue, Kindred was talking about Norman's legacy and that he is the end of innocence made flesh, and that he already has a victory over Spider-Man, and it's all a reference to Gwen's death, right? Like, that's the victory that Norman holds over Spider-Man. So for Nor- Norman to call, or for well, well, Cletus as Norman to call Kindred his legacy, like all men have a dream of a legacy and you are most certainly his. Like, is it possible that Gwen is his legacy, like truly hurting an innocent person? That's the one thing that still stands out to me.
1: Are you going to say one big happy family? Are we referring to sin's past again? Are we going back to that? Do that well?
0: I do think that like Nick Spencer considers himself like Spider-Man's janitor, You know, he has kind of like gone after some stories that like really are hot button stuff to kind of, and corrective things. Like we've talked about his kind of corrective mode on this and you know, there are so many things still left to square off. Like, I mean, if I had made a list, it would like begin with like Peter and Mary's Mary Jane's child, or like is Sin's past actually canon? And if, the editors feel like he has an interesting story that can allow him to address that finally i i based on his track record i would think that would be in his wheelhouse and i think there have been like some kind of nods towards that story even obliquely right remember we had kindred even use the words past sins in a previous issue like I don't want to read into it too much and I know that I already am, but like I, I don't want to like forget that like a good red herring is one that can be read both ways. And I think he is careful with his words, but it, but it does seem so obviously like Harry, but there, there are still there is still some wiggle room in my mind.
1: Now that you explained it now, of course, I'm like, huh, that would be the last kind of swerve in my mind. We never got the resolution in clone conspiracy about what happened to the Gwen clone, right?
0: Yeah, we don't know what happened to that clone. She just disappeared. I mean, it's presumed that she's dead. It's but, presumed, but, but yeah,
1: you know, in the immortal words of of Kingpin, there is nobody. There is no corpse, <laughs> right? But but
0: we also have Mysterio's word that there was a man that tortured him in hell, you know, for a long period of time. So Mysterio would have to be dead at some point we have to just trust, like you said, we have to trust the words that are printed in front of us. And the big minute we begin to disbelieve one thing, it all comes tumbling down. So for all of it to stack up so obviously on Harry, it just seems so obvious. And the only reason I don't want it to be is because I just think that to reveal it in an issue like this is so super lame without actually doing a reveal. So I like, I want to create other things to give him the benefit of the doubt, but like, I don't know that that's earned. But people have read this, and they probably came to the same conclusions as us. I think all of this kind of psychological play of this, the idea of Peter blaming himself for both the symbiote being on Earth and for, like, Gwen's death, and having them kind of, like, linked together is an interesting retcon. Like, the idea that, like, he put the symbiote on because he knew after Gwen's death, like his strength wouldn't be enough to have prevented that. And so he wasn't going to let that happen again. And so the symbiote was a way for him to power up and, you know, obviously come out victorious in secret wars, et cetera. And that like the, it's your fault. It's my fault. Stuff is really great psychologically. And it builds to this great sequence where Peter like gets up off the ground and like beats the crap out of carnage and with several like great allusions to Spider-Man comics in the past, like there's the amazing Spider-Man 316 cover that's reversed in this, in this issue where it's Spider-Man standing over carnage instead of Venom standing over Spider-Man on the cover. It's like, I thought that was really clever. And this is like one of those classically like Ditko and like amazing Spider-Man 33 type constructions where it's the like Peter slowly picking himself up and, and beating off an unbeatable foe. And I thought it was handled excellently
1: here. There's a lot of great play in terms of visually and, and story-wise. And I did find the, the symbiote connection to be a little odd. You know, go back and reread Secret Wars. And it's just so much more benign and naive than that. And I don't know. like I, But then again, not trying to overread into it, but like trying to get into Peter's brain. I could see over time, and especially in the context of something like a catastrophe, like what they're dealing with in Absolute Carnage, him finding a way to take something otherwise innocuous and turning this into this really, like, big betrayal on his part because, you know, he was trying to take a shortcut, but like, you know... In the comics, if you go back to the source material, it's not that. It's never been you know, like it's always just like, Oh, my suit's my suit's trash. What should I do? Oh, look at this black goo. Maybe that'll help. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like I'm weak and I need this, you know? Like to go there, you're you're I guess you're taking the leap that Peter is just his guilt is so neurotic that it would manifest like that for him in retrospect, which is kind of I mean, I don't know. Not a huge leap, but a bit of a leap, in my opinion.
0: I I just like that, like, in a moment, like, over the years, Peter begins to kind of, like, and I don't know if this is suggested by the text, but, like, that Peter is kind of looking back on his life and creating his own narrative for his own weakness, which is, like, something that Peter does. You know what I mean? He he will find a way to feel guilty about most anything, and I just thought it was a, a nice moment of him kind of Putting that guilt aside and saying, like, well, you know, I will fight back. Just to, you know, preface that too, I liked the bit with Kindred putting the centipede in Norman's ear to prevent him from killing Spider Man so as to, like, preserve the kill for Norman Osborn. I thought it was, like, a really interesting beat. And, you know, you always get those moments where it's, like, Spider Man's, like, gonna be defeated at the end of the previous issue by Carnage. And realistically, there's no way out for him there. Like, Carnage would. Eviscerate him in a second. Felt like a cheat that wasn't really a cheat. Like I, I bought this. I thought it was kind of a neat way to see Kindred, actually interacting with Spider-Man's world in a physical way, more than he kind of typically does, and it was kind of neat.
1: Beyond the 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 clues and stuff like that, I liked a lot of the interaction between Kindred and Norman Carnage or Norman Cletus, whatever you want to call him. I mean, like you know, there's this great conversation. Where kindred is saying, you know, basically, like, what why, why do you hate Peter so much? I don't get it. you know what I mean? Like, like, what is it? Is it just about the costume roles that you play? and and like, to me, that's a really insightful question to be asked of Norman Osborne because, you know, just like I alluded to earlier in the episode, you know, when when these characters are first introduced, there's no context for any of this. it's it's, you know, like, Norman, Norman is just this kind of you know cranky little offbeat industrialist that that intersects Peter's world because he happens to go to school with his son. But like you know, like this visceral hatred to to, to carry on this blood feud that that has evolved, and you know, obviously it, be, it it's been born out of these the stories themselves. I mean, once you have a story like death of you know the the night Gwen Stacy died, I mean anything is possible from there in terms of these two characters but in general it's like yeah why why does why does he hate them so much what, what did peter really ever do to norman
0: <laughs> i'm still swirling around like you know that motivation and and also the kind of like repeated imagery we see here again of the four friends closest to him that have been kind of hurt by norman and and the, just the like you know we get the portraits of gwen and harry and flash and mary jane you know, to varying degrees hurt by Norman and and the loss that Peter feels associated with them. And, you know, I I went back and reread some of the issues from this era, like not like I haven't read the death of Gwen Stacy a million times. I was thinking, and maybe you can help clarify this for me, like there's this kind of weird moment in Amazing Spider-Man number 118, where Gwen and Harry and MJ are kind of out campaigning for the kind of, Crooked uh, Raleigh, who's running for office, there's no real moment where we understand why Harry Osborn takes LSD again in Amazing Spider-Man 121. I mean, he had been clean, right, and he just kind of relapses. And there's a bit of like a like anger behind him doing it, right? Like it seems to have been something he's done out of some kind of anger, but he's never acting that way. And I found this moment in Amazing Spider-Man 118 where it's like the only moment before Amazing Spider-Man 121 where Harry seems upset about something and doesn't say it, and it's when Peter comes back and qu- kisses Gwen in front of him and Mary Jane kind of like scolds him for like being upset that his roomy is roommate is not hanging around that he's spending time with Gwen. And it made me wonder, like, what what would be Harry's motives for being this upset about Peter, you know, in regards to revisiting things like this specific era that we've got in the past two issues? Like, for you, what, what was ever Harry's motives for taking LSD the second time?
1: I kind of saw it as just as a setup to get to 121, to be honest with you. And maybe that's what it was at the time, but, you know, yeah, I mean, like, in kind of looking at it through the lens of of what we're doing now, I mean, you know, well, what got him on drugs the first time, was it, 95 through 97, was jealousy about MJ flirting with Peter. So it seems to be kind of rooted in that, you know, jealousy, inadequacy, Harry looking to escape something, right?
0: Is that enough to make, like, let's say it is Harry, right? Which it seems to be, we've said. Is that enough for him to be this certain, like, you know, talking to his father and saying, well, why do you hate Peter? Like, my reason is, like, lock solid. Like, he's basically saying, like, I have a really good reason to hate Peter. And it's like, are we basing this whole thing on some kind of outdated jealousy that, like, we've all moved past ages ago? Like, is that enough to hang our hats on?
1: It's Harry's recognition that Peter being... Peter has basically destroyed all of his innocence, you know what I mean? Like, you know, whether it be getting him hooked on drugs because of his jealousy or, you know, having the love of his father or seeing his friends die because of their connections to uh, Spider-Man or, you know, and worrying about MJ, who at this point is next to Peter, the last survivor of this group.
0: Here it seems like Harry gets that love from his father, right? Like, if it is Harry, in turning himself into a monster, he's finally achieved his father's legacy and love in in, in some weird, twisted sort of way.
1: Did Harry ever have the opportunity to to do this in Norman's presence to this degree? But I guess American Son would have been it, right?
0: It, It seems strange to me to be revisiting these topics so soon after... Harry redeemed himself in the Red Goblin story. Like, if it is real Harry or, like, previously erased Harry, like, going right back to this well, like, a year later seems like kind of a quick turnaround. But, I mean, that's it seems to be the, the way we're going here.
1: Harry's motivations go further than jealousy. Let's look at the words on the page and the scenes that were chosen, which I'm sure were chosen with intent. This idea of Norman going to peter in 121 saying it's your fault in essence i feel like if this is indeed harry or or just kindred in general like this is kindred saying to peter this is all your fault and by all i think it's everything like you know like you being spider-man you being you you being peter parker have caught have have wrought this upon us and you know like we're going back to these flashbacks of our youth, of our innocence, and Gwen is dead, and now Flash is dead, and MJ is the last vestige of this, and you know, and, and, and Harry is a is a drug addict and a screw up, and you know, always in the in fear of his father.
0: Right, and that would make sense why Kindred is like keen on protecting her in in some weird way. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, I guess it's Harry. Mark, do you want to do a grade for this thing? Because like, I don't know if we talked enough about like how great. I felt like this issue was constructed, but like as disappointed as I am in like this, seeming this was a cool comic. To yeah, <laughs> it was a, for a non-reveal reveal, which I found disappointing. This was a really cool comic.
1: I'm not gonna hold what I'm suspecting the reveal to be against it. I, I'm giving this an A minus. I liked it again. I think it was just as good as the last issue.
0: It's an A minus to me, and I'm like, it could really hold that position if this is a red herring, like a a smart red herring. I'll think this issue was even cleverer. I have to, I have to adore a well-constructed comic while also kind of saying like, God, I just, you know, uh, this is a weird way to tip your hat. Like this isn't a tip of a hat. This is a waving of a flag.
1: It's well constructed. It's 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 an, it's interesting in in how it's constructed. Great use of an event tie-in. I mean, like, my goodness, if if all Spider-Man tie-ins could be this good.
0: I mean, like, here's the thing, like this issue is an A plus issue. If at the end of the issue, Kindred walks away from Norman, pulls his face off, and it's Harry. Like, to me, that's the that's if, if that's where we're going, that should have happened here.
1: But that's why I say minus.
0: All right, cool. Well, hey, Mark, uh, this was a lot of fun talking to you about. this.
1: Absolutely, everyone, and thanks again for all you joining us. And as always, if you have your own theories or speculation, you know, come come hit us up and talk talk to us about it.
0: I love how certain you are about this. Like that makes me feel like kind of better.
1: Although your Gwen theory has got me thinking, but I think I think we got to just take it on face value here at this point.
0: No, I think you're right. All right, hey, well, thanks again.
1: We hope you guys enjoyed that review because now we've got something extra special for you. After we recorded that last review, some new information came to us through our spider slack about the identity of Kindred. So we had to record an immediate podcast to discuss it. This is that recording from back when these issues were originally released and we think you're going to really dig it. So cue the Kindred alarm. Here it is. (laughs)
0: breaking speculation about the identity of Kindred. Well, welcome back, everybody. I am Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I am joined by my co-host here today. Introduce yourself, co-host. Hello,
1: it is I, mischievous Mark Genacchio. Dan, how are you?
0: I'm doing really well. You know, normally we meet up to discuss new issues of Amazing Spider-Man, but today we're doing something a little bit different. You know, last time we talked about an issue of Amazing Spider-Man two weeks ago, who could have imagined that long ago? You know, we kind of came to this feeling in that issue that, you know, Nick Spencer was giving us two very distinct options in regards to like the kindred identity. He was either kind of like clumsily revealing that Harry Osborn is kindred, or he was setting up some massive red-headed red herring with Harry Osborne, And, you know, I think you and I came to an ultimate conclusion, which was like, we have to believe what's on the page or else we're going to be kind of like stumbling over this for a while, grasping at every loose straw and not believing anything. And as much as I was like, kind of like remiss to go with that because I like speculating, I ultimately had to agree with you. Is that, is that fair to where we kind of landed?
1: That's, Astute. It's not that I don't want to guess and and play these games, but like after at some point you kind of have to take the evidence that's being put forward and guess off of that, and not not invent your own evidence. I guess is kind of where I'm coming from. With that in mind, that kind of leads to something interesting that kind of got brought up on our Spider Slack page, right, Dan? Right.
0: So if you aren't on our Spider Slack page, let this be the grandest advertisement for what's special about the Spider Slack, which is Immediately after we published that episode, on the Spider Slack, one of our contributors, Dan Stones, also known as Spider Dan, had been looking closely back at Amazing Spider-Man number 29, the, the modern Amazing Spider-Man number 29, or 830, if you will, which featured, if you don't remember, MJ packing up her like suitcases to kind of go with Carly Cooper to the airport, hoping that Peter would meet her there. Which, as I'm saying, it is actually even more curious that this whole airport thing is, is kind of resurfacing. And, and the issue ended with Peter with this engagement ring kind of kicking off new speculation about, oh, my gosh, are we really going down this this road again? But what Dan noticed was that if you looked inside of MJ's suitcase, every time we saw her clothing, the only items of clothing that we see are white and purple. The same colors as Kindred, the purple jacket, and the bandages. And then he noticed throughout the issue and several previous issues, everything in MJ's apartment is also purple. She's got a purple couch, purple drapes. She's even wearing a bunch of outfits throughout the comics that are purple. And so that got us all kind of buzzing. Like, Is it MJ? I don't think so, right? Because Kindred is kind of operating as if MJ is someone else. But it is very curious to see that color scheme applied to MJ deliberate or not. I think most of these things are deliberate, but you know, you never know what, like what a colorist brings to how they're going to distinguish different characters in different scenes. So let's re- react to that discovery first, Mark. When, when we saw this, what, how did you respond to that? Cause I sent that to you first.
1: To me, the most striking thing is indeed the, the, the visual of like the clothes kind of coming out of the suitcase on very first blush. Yeah. It looks like it's like, Kindred's what would you call it a tunic that he's wear that he wears or or it wears (laughs) it looks like the costume kind of just shoved in there like to me that's too too on the nose to not actually mean something but what does it mean I mean like I I, you know even though in that episode that we did a few weeks ago Dan where we were kind of like rolling through all four characters or suspects if you will like we were talking about flash we were talking about mj we were talking about gwen we were talking about peter we were talking about harry I, I i do find it hard to believe that that kindred could be mary jane like current 616 version of mary jane that to me that would be that would be a really bad reveal
0: i don't disagree i mean i think there are a few things going for that camp there's the whole bit of like Peter saying, you know, oh, this is all very unreal. I'm having a hard time believing that we're back together again. Like, we've been skeptical of that. If you read any articles with the creative team or the editors on this book about the Nick Spencer run, they've all been teasing that Nick has like some big surprise, you know, waiting in store for the MJ thing, like that it's all going somewhere. And... Like, yeah, I don't know that I feel like it MJ is like dressing up as this monster at night and doing this. Like to me that would be kind of a betrayal of the character. And I don't think it makes sense given that like the lookups is a thing. Like, is a character that's trying to heal a relationship with Peter going to a help group in, in issues? It that doesn't square for me. You're right. It's not MJ in a normal sense. There's something else going on here. But it certainly does look like she's packing away the Kindred costume into a suitcase.
1: Although, again, she's with Carly there. And Carly is another name many moons ago that got thrown out there, right? (laughs) Is she packing the MJ suitcase? (laughs) So let's move on to
0: the bigger reveal, because this is the thing that like totally floored me. So like this discovery got Spider-Dan or Dan Stones looking back at the comics that had been referenced in the book recently like around the death of Gwen and all that stuff and books that we've been focusing on in our run of podcasts, right? We did a recent show about this era, right? This is what we're we're in. And he came to read Amazing Spider-Man 143, which is famous for what reason, Mark?
1: The first kiss, if you will, or at least the first big kiss between Peter and MJ at the airport, of course jerry conway ross andrew issue when we did the mj peter romance episode many a few months ago i mean like this was one of like the pivotal moments in their relationship that we kind of zeroed in on
0: and so dan took a look at this and boy i can't believe i didn't see this but i don't know why i would have seen this i mean it is completely context free but oh man if you look at the image of them kissing that famous image that you and i said was one of the most famous images in Spider Man comics. What wh- maybe my eyes are deceiving me, but boy, it looks like the Kindred costume is in that scene. You've got Peter with his bandaged hand um, after his fight with Danny Burkhart, That st- that stand in Mysterio. There's a Mysterio connection, right? So his hands, are, his hand is bandaged, and you've got him kiss in this jacket with the same collar as Kindred's coat, and he- he's. Pulling in and kissing Mary Jane, who is wearing a purple belted coat just like Kindred's, and her leggings resemble bandages as well, like they're white and with like black stripes. Like, just the merger of their two outfits is the Kindred costume. I mean, did it jump out immediately to you when I sent you that image?
1: Well, once you sent it, absolutely. And to me, I mean, like, yes, the colors and the and the and the like the the look of the clothing is very identical but to me like the th- the thing that makes this kind of creepy in its accuracy are the bandages. Cause like I for like like because yeah, like I'm like looking originally I'm looking at that image. And I'm like, wait, why the hell are Peter's hands bandaged? And like you and you brought up and like not only not only are they bandaged from from a fight, like they're bandaged from a fight with Mysterio. You know what I mean? Like a, <laughs> who has been like this other character in this whole drama right now. Granted it's 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 Quentin Beck and not Danny Burkhart but like the the, the the point is like this feels like a too much to be a cosmic coincidence I mean like like the bandages is what ultimately sells it to me and like you've talked about in past episodes Dan when we've speculated like how like Kindred with his bandaged hands has made like the thwip um motion with his hands so yeah like this looks like Kindred so what we're, we're Kindred is Peter and Mary Jane from issue 143. Like, what, what? where is this going?
0: That's the thing that's going to be interesting to kind of square. I mean, like, oh, first off, let's just say, do we think this is 100% something? Like, is this a real thing? Or are we like, find, do we find something and like make this connection? Because like, I'm 100% convinced that this is part of it.
1: Back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. You know, yeah, we could look for things and invent stuff. But like, we have to use the evidence that's available to us. This feels like evidence to me it's not like this issue and this moment hasn't been a critical part of this current run you know what i mean and like again if it goes back to our some of our earlier theories about who kindred is kind of circling back to this moment that more or less consummated the love between peter and mj and again kindred didn't start appearing until peter and mj started dating again so uh, this is a lot to a lot that you can't ignore
0: I just think when it, when the whole thing comes down to it, this moment will be a part of it. It's too it's too much of a coincidence to not be a thing. Like whether it was used for designing it, the character's outfit or something like the, you know, as a kind of clever way of of inv- invoking the Peter MJ relationship. Like I'm not saying Kindred was born this minute. But like, I, I think there's definitely something that was involved creatively with this moment here. That's not even to say like, like I was alluding to earlier is the amazing Spider-Man 29, as we mentioned in that very review of that episode is another one of those Peter and MJ at the airport thing, you know, like, like it may not have like a flashback, like to the like amazing Spider-Man 121 but it might as well have a flashback to 143.
1: In your opinion, what is what is Kindred? Because it's not, it's not like I said, it's not actually Peter and MJ from 143, but it's something kind of more intangible than that, right?
0: I, I think so. I mean, I think it's one of two things and that I'm leaning towards now. I don't think that it's Harry Osborn. I mean, maybe there's an aspect of Harry Osborn that's tied into this, but I just don't think that that's what it is. I think, like I said earlier, he's a red-headed red herring. I think there's two avenues you can go down for this. It's either the like some weird metaphysical avenue, which we've been discussing on the show for months now, or I guess a year now since I first guessed it, which is that it's like some amalgamation of the spider marriage that was taken in the one more day deal that is kind of like personified and coming after them. And I still feel very strongly in that camp. I started really thinking about this and I've heard a lot of people say this on the internet, like, Oh, maybe it's the spider child, you know, that was stolen away, you know, back in the end of the clone saga, like, you know, Peter and, and Mary Jane's baby. And I just thought, you know, they're not going to do that because it's been such a, you know, it was forgotten for a reason. And I can't see an editorial team being like, let's dredge that up. Again, it just doesn't seem like something you'd want to do. But
1: could it be the child from one from One More Day that shows up? I think it could be.
0: The only reason that I'm introducing this like back into my mind now is that there is an Osborne connection to this. And there's the idea, right? The whole like Osborne is innocent, you know, made or the death of innocence made flesh. And like, if Osborne's greatest victory isn't Gwen, in fact, the next biggest, you know, thing that he Probably did to Spider-Man was steal his child, you know, uh, living, dead, what wh- whatever that thing is. And that Peter and Mary Jane have never mentioned this person ever again would give them good reason to hate Peter. Right. Like would give like like, of course, you know, this thing would would hate Peter for never thinking of it or for longing for Gwen over his own child or giving up the memory of the child in the one more day deal. Like, I think there's a way to incorporate the child element into this if that's where they're going. But I still think the stronger story to tell is one of the marriage as like a villain. Cause it seems like all roads are pointing towards that. We've not gotten imagery invoking children or anything like that. You know, maybe the ring around the Rosie is a, is a kind of allusion to childish rhymes that or something like that, but I, I don't really
1: know. In defense of it being the child, which, you know, I, I get why you're you're leaning against it, but, like, th- this is, like, a part of spider history that doesn't get brought up anymore, but it's also, like, it's never been definitively retconned, correct?
0: No, I don't think we've ever dealt with it again after it happened
1: like basically pretending it never happened is not the same as retroactively wiping it out from con you know what i mean like like so like you know if it hasn't been retconned it's fair game that it still exists i mean it's in the same vein as and i hate to say this but of since past you know what i mean like it's 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 you know that has not been effectively retconned either I'm not actually suggesting we're going back to since past year too. The reason why it's never been brought up again is because, like, I, I think, like, a lot of creators just don't want to touch it. You know what I mean? They're like, what do, what do we do about this idea that they had this kid and the kid and, 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 and like even the way it's addressed in one more day with the child. Like, I feel like I've always been like, wait, is this the child that Osborne killed or is this something else? You know, like like they kind of like make it sound like, oh, this is a child you'll never have because you're giving this marriage up. But it's like, but it's just very strange to me. And that's such a strange era of comics, the ninety, you know, 90s when this all happened. And yet, like we've been revisiting them, th- that era with a plum. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I mean, Ben Riley's back. Like it's not taboo anymore to be talking about these comics. So like if Spencer... Nick Spencer went to Marvel and was like, "No, I want to. I I want to do something with the child. Like, who's to say no? If he's got an idea to do it, like you know, it's like Dan Slott wanted to finally bring back Ben Riley, and he didn't get rejected. I mean, you know, like like who's to say no? It hasn't been written out. You know, like what's 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 his way of bringing it in? This is certainly a way to bring it back, and it would certainly be more tangible than say you know this amalgamation of this." marriage that's been like kind of like demonic or whatever I, I, you know what i mean like what like what is it like 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 how 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 is a love or a marriage become physical flesh the way kindred seems to be
0: i don't know but I, but what i do know is i think that this clue that's been discovered like it supports i think the avenue that you and i have been looking at the whole time which is this is not to do with anything around peter And MJ, it is about Peter and MJ Kindred. Like, he, it, he, whatever, came back because they were starting to get back together again. Like, I I really think that, like, all of our guesses need to be squarely planted in the, this has something to do with Peter and MJ, right? I mean, because the story is headed that way, too. And now we're getting, you know, uh, solicitations, like the solicits we got for December, that are suggesting that there's a big Kindred story coming up, which I imagine is going to be the reveal of who Kindred is. I can't imagine we're going to have another big Kindred story that's not the reveal at this point. Although I've been wrong before. I thought issue 25 was going to be it.
1: Well, they revealed his, na- his or her name, Dan. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. And that helped us out so much. But I mean, yeah, Kindred, right? I mean, it's right there. You know, it's it's right there in the name.
1: I mean, the other thing worth noting too is I mean, hypothetically, if it is the child of Peter and MJ, you know, as has been established in like the, the Spider Girl series and stuff like that, this this character in all likelihood has powers, right? And and Kindred clearly has powers. I mean, because that's the other thing that's never sat right with me with Harry being Kindred, because it's like, I mean, I know Harry has taken the goblin serum to become the goblin. But he doesn't have supernatural type powers. You know what I mean? Whereas, and like some of those poses of like kindred jumping into the scene, you know, are also very Spider Man esque. And yes, I guess if it's again this kind of amalgamation of spiritual uh, Peter and MJ love, marriage, whatever. I, I mean, I think that's part of the issue too, Dan. Is like I'm trying to describe this to you and I can't just say, it's this, you know what I mean? Like, but I could say it's the child, you know what I mean? And like, at the end of the day, I feel like for it to be an effective reveal, it does have to be, I take the mask off and it's who, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah,
0: that's what I'm pushing back against a little bit. I mean, like, look, if it's the child, I'm very interested to hear the explanation of what went on there, you know, but I, I think no matter who it is, there's an explanation that's going to go on there. And I think like the, like the, 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 the wow of the mask getting pulled off. Like, I mean, if we see the the mask get pulled off and it's the child, I mean, are we going to recognize it? We're not, you know, like, Oh, it looks kind of like Peter and MJ, I guess. Or it's, it's like May Parker or something like it it won't have that punch. Whoever it is under the mask, like is going to need a massive explanation for what it is, you know, like regardless, unless it's Harry Osborne, and even if it is Harry Osborne, like the powers thing doesn't bother me so much because I, I imagine these powers are are hell born, whatever they are. It's the demo goblin thing. It's the like I went to hell and gained these powers in hell, and like, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that like this. If it's Harry Osborne, it's the same Harry Lyman that was you know fighting the red goblin. 30 some issues ago, like they're thinking it's the Harry that like actually died. And whoever this Lyman character is, is not the same guy. That will be the wrinkle I, I would, I would plumb. But, but like for me, finding this clue in regards to the purple and white bandages during the first kiss, I, I feel very solidly in the camp of this is about Peter and MJ and whether it's their love child or their love itself manifest. It's something like that, that we're looking at here.
1: This is a good development in this obsessive story breakdown that we've been doing over the past. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's for the past couple of years, but like with serious velocity over the last few months, I would say. So, I mean, you know. Go check out the Spider Slack people, right? (laughs) This is a good commercial, including me, I guess, but we we won't get into that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, look, Spider Dan, Dan Stones, great eye. I'll take any kind of great eye, even if it's debunking my theories. But in this case, I felt like he had a great eye of support for my idea. There you go. (laughs) So I'll triple take it.
1: Anything else you want to say on this, Dan? Or are you good?
0: No, no. I think we've talked longer than I planned on it. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll do these if we find any other huge updates. But we kind of wanted to get this down as being like, you heard it here first, folks.
1: Yes. We have to validate ourselves no matter what.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dan Stone. Right.
1: Excellent. And thank you all for joining us, as always. Always. Thanks for joining us for our review roundup of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you all enjoyed our coverage of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, number 29 through 31. Do you think we are on to something with all this Kindred speculation, Dan?
0: We, we've we got to be, because if we're not, then like like what's the point of all of this? Mark, what, why am I waking up in the morning if I can't guess who Kindred is?
1: Are you waking up in the morning thinking of Kindred, Dan?
0: God, no, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, good, and I'm safe. I'm safe from that because that would be a sad state of affairs. Things that are not sad is our Patreon channel. So for our Patreon subscribers this week, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed where we've got reviews all the way up through the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 37. If you enjoyed today's show, why not help support our show and get caught up with all of our opinions on the new Spider-Man comics at the same
1: time? Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commission artwork, this time from Barry Kitson as he depicts the tremendously sad moment that Spider-Man learned of Gwen Stacy's demise.
0: Also be sure to check out our sister show, the untold talks of Spider-Man and there have a special guest on a bunch of the recent episodes. I think cause Kane is taking a, a small break, the at down the web line from Twitter. So it's kind of a fun little uh, pairing there with her and Matt. Plus we've also got the amazing spider slack community for you to join. Just check this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community. And on that point, I was recently told that that link seems to have expired I didn't know it could do that, so I fixed it, and so if you were frustrated in the past about not being able to join the Spider Slack, try it one more time and see if it works for you. I hope it does, and if it doesn't, then reach out to me, because uh, that's the only way I know these things. And a special thank you to Rick Coast, our amazing, spectacular, adjectiveless, sensational web-of editor who cut together this very episode. Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and where we can find your work in 2020?
1: Most of my work can be found at rickcoast.com. There are links there to my audio drama work, as well as a link to the science education series about evolution called Evolution Talk. There's also a contact page, and I'd love to hear from you. Take care, everybody.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Rick. Mark, where can we find you online this week?
1: Well, you, you can always find me on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog. And uh, while this is not online, you can find the book I wrote online, which is 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. I saw a bunch of you on Instagram message me saying that you got copies around the holidays. Thank you so much for your support. That really means a lot to me. I'm glad the book, all these years later, is still kicking around. That That, that means something to me, Dan. And where can I find you, Dan?
0: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk. Uh, It's what I'm doing right now. I'm not writing anything special about Star Wars anymore. That season of my life has gone. And frankly, I'm kind of trying to like whittle down the amount of Star Wars hot takes I see on the internet. I'm just kind of exhausted of it all. So come for me for Spider-Man stuff, If even if you were sick of my Star Wars hot takes.
1: I need to find more of your Mandalorian reviews, Dan, although I have to admit I like Mandalorian, so maybe I don't need to find your reviews.
0: <laughs> I did like it in the end. I think the last two episodes were really solid. It's just episode four through six where it's like, are, what is this show? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was a worthwhile investment of time, and I had fun writing those pieces And even if you want to, you know, if you like the show a lot, like I at least think my pieces are cranky and funny. You know, go look over to TV Guide. And if you're just catching up on Mandalorian, those might be fun things for you to read. You know, one thing we never need to catch up with, Mark, because it's just so tied to our hearts and our show's identity is our motto. Mark, what's the motto with you?
1: Oh, uh, ho, ho, ho. of course it is. With great podcasts, there must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't,
0: don't miss the next install-